and welcome to this week's Three Legs, Four Wheels F1 podcast. It's Paul here with... Sean. Chris. Lee. And our very special guest joining us from Not A Hospital. <laughs> Just about, yeah. Sure, not to be confused with Sean. <laughs> How are you doing, Sean? Because you've not been great lately, have you? Uh, well, most people will argue I'm not great anytime. But, um, yes, health-wise, uh, I've had a little bit of a mishap, let's say, between Bahrain and Jeddah. Um, and uh, spent 10 days in hospital. Um, but I uh, got through it, I'm out, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the mend, as they say, and getting better. Ah, fantastic to know. So um, you, have, you have to tell us, because we've, we've only seen sort of snippets that you posted on, uh, on social media. What happened? Uh, well, it started actually in October last year, around about the time we did Austin and Mexico City. Um, I, uh, I train a lot. Um, and I was in the gym and, I, and one morning I was doing my workout and I realized I can't touch the toes on my right foot. Like it was, I found it was like something's pinching. So I thought, okay, I might go see a chiropractor or something like that and try and have him, you know, do his Bruce Lee on me, Kung Fu kick me back into shape. And um, it would work, but then a few days later it would come back. And this, this was going on all through the winter. And... Um, it was only in the like three weeks before the start of the season where I started to feel like, okay, something's really properly wrong. I should get an MRI. So I thought, oh, I'll get an MRI when we get back from Bahrain and Jeddah. Uh, and then in Bahrain, on Saturday morning, while I was getting ready to go to the track, I sneezed. As simple as that. I sneezed while I was getting dressed. And it was like someone had shot me. It was just, I just went bang and fell over like, a, like an oak tree going over onto the bed. Uh, I was in agony and it took me 20 minutes to get up and then I found that I couldn't I couldn't sit down I could stand or I could lie down but I couldn't sit down anymore um, it just was too uncomfortable uh, so I got through the rest of the weekend because obviously I was ap- appearing on stage and doing you know doing interviewing people and stuff um, and during the race when I was doing my usual stuff for the broadcasters I was getting increasingly restless because I thought I can't it's getting more and more difficult to stand up and I can't sit. So all, all I could do at this point is lay down. Well, unfortunately you can't lie down in the middle of a hospitality area in Bahrain. It's not really on brand to do that. <laughs> so I just had to get through it. Went to the airport because we're all, we're all on the 2 a.m. flight out of there. Ended up in the airport clinic. They stuck a needle in my back, you know, to try and uh, inject painkillers into me. Uh, they gave me ibuprofen like a packet of m&ms and you know i was absolutely chock full of painkillers and it still wouldn't go away it's still it was still uncomfortable and i was literally at the, at the gate that night at the barring grand prix getting ready to board and and a lot of the other a lot of the rest of the f1 paddock were on on the same flight so there was a lot of people in the, at the gate who i knew um I, actually alex Albon was on my flight as well uh so it wasn't just personnel it was a, it was a driver on the flight uh, and I thought, you know, if I get on this flight, I can't sit. I can't sit in the departure lines. What on earth makes me think I could tolerate seven hours flying back to London if I can't sit down for ten minutes now? Um, so I had to tell them, like, you're gonna have to pull my bags off this flight. I, ca- I can't physically board the flight. We're just gonna end up making an emergency landing somewhere, and, and then I'm never gonna hear the end of it from half of the F1 padding. You ruined my day off because we ended up in some backwater that we had to go to because of you um and the next the next morning i thought okay i'll, I'll fly on wednesday they moved it to wednesday i thought i'll have a couple of days here it'll be fine i'll get better 
And then the next morning, I tried to go down to breakfast in the hotel and didn't make it to the breakfast room. I ended up on the floor in the corridor of the hotel, at which point, just call an ambulance. I need, I, I genuinely need urgent medical help. And I ended up in hospital for 10 days because um, at first, you know, they took, they tried to treat it with oral painkillers, then intravenous painkillers. And they discharged me actually after about eight hours and they thought I'd be all right. And I said, I can't, I can't physically get up to walk out of the hospital. <laughs> it was literally like, they were like, why are you still here? I, said, I can't get up. I can't physically get up to walk out. Um, and that's when they took me in as a, as a, as an inpatient and, uh, yeah, it was uh, there was an MRI scan found there was a herniated disc. Uh, for those of you who are big fans of uh, lumbar surgery, uh, it was an L5 S1 <laughs> microdiscectomy, um, which I don't know about you guys, I find that's my favourite discectomy. If I had to choose one, that's the one I would choose. Um, yeah, and uh, and you know, yeah, good on them. I mean, they they the the surgeons did a hell of a job. They talked me through everything in detail and made sure I wasn't too nervous about it because you know, obviously when you hear when you hear they're going to operate on your spinal area it's natural to think hey wait a minute <laughs> that sounds kind of serious to me mm. um, but they said no this is a very common procedure it's something we do quite a lot it's not very complex it's not very invasive um, and you should feel better within four, 48 hours you, you have, you'll feel significantly better within 24 hours Um so yeah, I had that operation um, and they got me, they moved the operation up so I could be fit to do Jeddah. Um, but I didn't go to the track in Jeddah. In fact, Jeddah was the only race this season that I'm not supposed to attend. It was the only one I'm not on the on the schedule for. And I was always supposed to be doing that from F1's broadcast headquarters in, in Biggin Hill um, in Southeast London. So as luck would have it, the only race of the weekend, the only race of the year where I wasn't on site it was also the only race of the year where I didn't want to be on site because I couldn't be on my feet that long. You know, all I had to do was sit in a TV studio. So it was a remarkable good fortune that the injury really manifested on the Sunday night immediately after one race and cleared up, you know, thanks to surgery on by Thursday of the Jeddah weekend. So I, I was really very lucky. And um, uh, if anybody, if, if, if there's anybody of, of Bahraini extraction listening to this podcast, I want to say you have a fantastic healthcare system. And um, in Bahrain, it's as much about the care as the health. They don't just do the health part, they do the care part. They looked after me so well, I was actually sad to leave the hospital. Um, that's when you know, I mean, that's when you know the healthcare is really good, when you actually think, I'm really sad to be leaving hospital. Normally you want to get out of the hospital. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, I, you know, you've all, you've all looked after me so well. You know, they're, they're in, in the hospital, uh, the Salmania uh, Medical Complex, uh, they, had, they even had uh, a head of a head of patient care that would come in and visit me and say, "Is everything okay? Is there anything we can get you from the outside world? You know, chocolate or something like that. You know, any, anything you would like. Um, is there any? Would you like me to call any family members? Would you like me to talk them through and just reassure them that you know the procedure is not is not too serious? And um, yeah, they took such good care of me. So there'll be there'll be uh, ac sort of accidentally, um, but, but in a nice way. Uh, part of me will be forever Bahraini after this because I, I they they really they really went the extra mile. Oh, that is good to know. I mean, we do actually get quite a few listeners in Bahrain. I, I have noticed we've been in the um, podcast charts on there a couple of times, which yeah sort of stands to reason. You know, it's got an F, it's got an F one race. So um, so Bahrain, Bahraini listeners, you uh, you really do have a cracking health service. 
And yeah, and also, also, if I may, sorry to interrupt. Um, I, I also want to give a special. I want to give a special shout out to Mohammed Yassim at the at the hospital, and also to Lawrence Jones, who uh, is one of the uh, leading lights of the Bahrain international circuit, who took charge of the situation when I was incapacitated, and you know, started directing the traffic on my behalf, handling the paperwork and everything. In Bahrain, they really walk the walk when it comes to looking after their guests in their country. That's for sure, and uh, I couldn't have. Uh, I would have had a much more stressful time without that. Amazing. Mm. Oh, that is, um, you know, that is that is really amazing how, you know, they've got you back and in a different country and on your feet within uh, within two weeks. Yeah, so- I, I wouldn't have believed you. I wouldn't have believed it in the pain that I was in. If anybody, I'm sure there's probably people listening to this who have, have had back pain or sciatic nerve pain. And it is like someone set fire to you. You know, it, it just, you can feel the pain going down your leg, like, like, like a, like watching a, a house fire being, you know, spreading throughout the building. And uh, it's, uh, it's, oh, it's horrendous. Um, so the fact that I'm now here, uh, well, less than two weeks, well, I mean, it's been less than a week since they operated on me. Um, and I have no pain at all. You know, the only thing I've got now is I'm, I've got numbness in my right leg and my foot, which I'm told is quite normal. Um, so I can't, I shouldn't really drive a car, you know, um, and I certainly won't be doing, won't be doing any weightlifting for the next couple of months while the, while the, the surgical wounds heal up. But um, yeah, they, they, they really, I, I consider myself extremely lucky, bearing in mind the situation I found myself in, you know, incapacitated on the floor in a foreign country. Uh, to being back on my feet and feeling pretty good about things a few days later. Now that is um, that is really good, uh, and I'm sure all the listeners are uh, joining in with um, wishing you a speedy full recovery as well. Yes, th- thank you, thank you. Anybody who tweeted at me um, or DM me about it, I read all of them and I appreciated them a lot, especially especially in the first few days when I felt like I was kind of marooned by myself. All I had all I had was interaction on social media. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was very kind of everybody to do that. Uh, say what you want about F one fans, We're, we are a good crowd at heart. I think There's... most fans are great. You know, it's, it's yeah. people whip themselves into a frenzy on social media about very incidental, perfunctory stuff. But we usually, when you meet fans in person, they're all great. Mm. You know, you very very rarely meet somebody you think, "Well, I don't like them." Um, you know, you always meet everybody, and we're all super enthusiastic and pretty. There's a lot of camaraderie between F1 fans because, you know, it's a little bit more unusual than, say, meeting football fans. You know, if you see somebody, you know, you always say, as F1 fans, if you see someone else wearing an F1 hat, be it Red Bull or Mercedes or McLaren or whatever, you always feel com- compelled to go over and talk to them. You think, ah, you're one of us, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I always I always look on the bright side. I very rarely meet anybody who's a Formula 1 fan, who, 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 who I dislike. They're all usually great. Um, right, that is that is amazing. That's fantastic. And thank you for joining us this week, Sean. Um, if you want to stick around for the whole show, we'll be talking about the um, Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, which, even though you didn't have a trackside view, I'm sure from Biggin Hill, you got to see a lot more than we did. Uh, yeah, I could see everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in the broadcast headquarters... We uh, for years I worked uh, at Speed Channel and at NBC in the US, and we always used to say we're in we're in the fake version of whatever country we're in. So, for instance, if we'd been doing the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix this weekend, we'd, we would have said we're in fake Saudi Arabia because you're in a, a TV a TV production gallery is a windowless environment, and all you can see are screens 
that's showing you the track. So it's like, okay, I have no idea where I'm actually sitting geographically in the world, but it doesn't matter because the clock is on Jeddah time and all I can see is Jeddah. Um, now, when you, go, when you go to Formula One's broadcast headquarters, they have every single camera available. So you can see all sorts of stuff that does not go out, you know, that, that the viewers do not see. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's a very privileged environment, I can tell you. Um, because they're obviously they're always the cameras are always up. We can always see them. So when we come into work, we can see what's happening at the track, even though there's nothing happening at the track. Like for instance, I could see, I, I could pick out faces of the fans who are going around on the truck tour um, on Saturday morning. You know, before the Porsche you know, Middle East series goes out and does their practice session. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's literally like being at the track. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's it's quite a nice party trick. But ultimately, when when the race is actually happening, you just want to watch the world feed you want to, or, or the international feed, as, as, as Formula One call it. Um, you just kind of want to cut out all of that guff. It, you know, it's like just just show me what I normally see. Give me timing and scoring. And give me the, the TV pictures, and uh, and and we'll and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, not uh, not constantly tuned to the pit lane channel just to um, see if anyone called Jack is causing a penalty. <laughs> I'm nicking your joke, Flood. I know. More, more, more of that later. <laughs> um, so yeah, onto the um, onto the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Um, n- not not a classic race, but yeah, it's still thrown up talking points. Thank yeah, you. it did. Um, I'm still unsure about the. Uh, I mean, I was spoke about it last last week. Just the circuit. Maybe it's because I'm still not used to it. Because essentially it's it was like what three months between the first two runnings or four months or something like that between the first two runnings, and then we've had a year and back straight back to, to the circuit. It's difficult for me to know when I look at like a, a car on the circuit, I'm like oh that's turn seven or whatever. So it's it's hard for me to relate to exactly where the cars are on the circuit. So it's still got a way a way to go, I think, before it's it's regarded as a. A classic circuit, if you will, and uh, but uh, it's 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 interesting, especially with those concrete walls so close to the circuit. Uh, I'm surprised we didn't see more accidents, you know, especially well, any accidents during the race. Did we? Did we see any at all? No, the, None t- at the all? two the two DNFs were both um, uh, mechanical, I think. Yeah. So well, we had a bit of we had a bit of argy bargy with the McLarens on the first lap, and that that is that true. Was yeah. Yeah, but I mean, nothing. Nobody, nobody doing a Mick Schumacher this year, where uh, you know they, they they stuff it into the wall and the car is in many pieces. Um, there was plenty is, of that in F two, to be fair. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's it, it was it was a it was a decent enough Formula One race. You know, it was like you said, lots of talking points. Um, very reminiscent of, of of like early turbo hybrid era, I think. Sort of Mercedes dominance, although this time it's Red Bull. Um, cutting through the cutting through the field with ease, and uh, luck seems to be going their way as well. And um, it's up to everybody else to build a better car to catch them. To be perfectly honest, yeah. Although I mean, Red, you know, Red Bull. Well, the Red Bull car actually proved it is mortal during qualifying. Yes, or, or Max, Max is certainly was. <clears throat> but I mean, the thing is, is, everyone everyone has found out that car is that much quicker. I think even without the safety car, would have still seen a Max Verstappen podium. Just just on yes. just on yes. raw pace. Yes, yeah, absolutely, we would have done. Um, and you know, the safety car obviously helped Max out. 
um, in terms of in terms of the possibility of catching Checo. Um, and <laughs> I was talking to I was talking to Alex Brundle about this uh, after the race, and and he thinks <laughs> he's already he's already a, a jumped onto the conspiracy bandwagon. He thinks that Red Bull were deliberately inventing problems. Um, because they don't want to be slowed down by the FIA mid-season by some arbitrary rule change or anything like that. Um, which, you know, there is previous, there is previous form when it comes to that sort of stuff, when a car's a bit too quick. Um, but they really, I mean, it was astonishing that there was a, there was a period in the race where Verstappen and Perez's fast slaps were more than a second faster than everybody else. Um, on equal tyre strategy. It was, and there, there wasn't, it was so obvious to all of us that they were going to be one and two unless they broke down. Um, but what I thought was really interesting and, and an unusual, an unusual little crease in what we normally see in the, uh, in the, 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 the stop and focus world of Red Bull was that the two drivers were trading fastest laps to decide who was going to lead the world championship. And we uh, on, on the F1 TV side, and I hope hopefully for me, basically, <laughs> hammering on the other broadcasters on this point hopefully we got through to the viewers that these two this is a psychological battle here now like we think Perez is going to win this and Max is going to be second but it's all on the fastest lap now I know it's not a big deal really two it's only the second race of the season but if Checo Perez has taken the lead in the world championship psychologically that does change the ground slightly uh, in much the same way as when Mark Webber started to be inconveniently fast in 2010 when the anointed one in the other car was behind Weber in the world championship. And suddenly it was like, hang on a minute, Weber can win this world championship. Um, of course he didn't in the end, but it did, it did create a psychological change in, in, in the team. And if Checo had had that fastest lap, that would have been very, very interesting to see how Max would cope with it, to be behind the world championship leading teammates. It's, you know, it's not a situation that he's ever been faced with before. I think we really felt that on the team radio as well, didn't we? When I think Max was asking his engineer about fastest lap and he was like, oh, we're not interested in that. It doesn't matter. And it was like, well, it matters to me. You could really feel that sort of like, no, I'm, I'm not letting this guy beat me or go ahead of me. There was a real edge to that. An edge that's probably going to yeah. involve them driving into each other at some point. That'll be fun. Well, yeah, it, it of course, it remains to be seen if... Checo Perez can beat Max in a straight fight mm. because Verstappen was coming through the field in this instance. Um, it's a quite different ball game. You say, okay, the two Red Bulls are on the front row because so far there's been no evidence to suggest that Checo Perez can beat Max in a straight fight between the two of them. Um, it, it always needs a little bit of a tailwind here and there. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, but put it this way, you know, Perez is probably fancying his chances a little bit more than he thought he would. Um, particularly towards the end of last season when they were sort of fall out with each other with the, the team orders thing in Interlagos. Yeah, um, yeah, I was about to re- reference that because that, that's boiled over into this year as well, isn't it, a little bit? It's going, it's going to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I remember standing on the stage in Austin and telling everybody in the crowd, I said, so so Verstappen has won this championship. Red Bull are going to win the Constructors' Championship. There is only one thing Red Bull have never achieved in Formula 1, and that's have both the drivers finish one and two in the championship. But with Verstappen's championship now confirmed, they need to make sure Checo finishes second. Can you imagine asking Max to move out of the way for Checo? And 
if you think about it and think about what happens if Max says no, because that will cause all sorts of ripple effects, unnecessary disharmony at a time when everything should be sweetness and light. And lo and behold, that's what happened at Interlagos. And it could be that, you know, Perez, you know, gets along with the car a lot better than, than he did with last year, and especially with 2021. And if, the Stappen's not getting delayed, you know, like like he did in qualifying here. Um, Perez, I mean, Perez will basically have an open goal to aim at with this car, which is so stunning and fast. Um, if you get that a few more times, you could have a repeat of what happened in 2016 um, when Nico Rosberg won the world title. It should be always be remembered that really Lewis Hamilton was the fastest driver in 2016, but there was a lot of uh, a lot of luck went went against him. Uh, crucial periods um, in the early part of the season, and he was already, you know, on the back foot. If that happens this season, whoa, have we got a championship? That will be really interesting to see a, an intra Red Bull battle for the championship. It might not be interesting if you're not a Red Bull fan, but um, it would be interesting to see how Max's, you know, authority as the top dog in that team is is challenged. Yeah, Eddie Hearn will be signing the pay per view rights to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed, absolutely. <laughs> Um, still... I was going to say, talk, talking of talking of fighty things, can we can we just bring up Yoss at the end? Completely yeah. blanking Checo when yeah. uh, when he went to um, when he went to thank the team. And... I I feel I feel that's been blown up to be honest. There is he did they did shake hands. Uh, you might not have seen it on the world feed, but I've seen alternate angles where Checo and Yoss actually shook hands. Um, I just—I don't think it went out. I, I don't think it went out on the world feed, um, which gives the impression that they never looked at each other. Well, actually, they did. Um, but you know, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Yoss <laughs> obviously hates Checo and hopes he retires from every race. Damn it! <laughs> um, what I did notice was that in the cool down room uh, before they went on the podium, there did seem to be like needle between uh, Verstappen and Perez still. Because mm-hmm. like Verstappen immediately walked up and congratulated Alonso for getting onto the podium, and kind of didn't really interact with Perez at all. He also sat in Perez's seat. They had they had three chairs with each of the drivers' number behind them, and Perez was in the middle because he won, and Verstappen sat in it. In oh, the cool down room, that. I yeah. did. Because I'm petty. Maybe just muscle yeah. memory. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sit in the middle. That's where the winner goes. Right, I missed yeah, that. I, mean, I, was, it... I was reattaching some pedals to a sim racing. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that, that 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 did I did notice that has happened, and uh, yeah, I think that's that's Max indulging in a little bit of psychological warfare there. I'm, I'm sure that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't a good faith error. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, and and I, I, it's a real it's it'd be really interesting to see Checo Perez tested in this way because mm. we know okay we know he's quick, not as quick as Max. I think Max is really the, the, the absolute top draw of talent we've seen in Grand Prix history. Um, but can he, you know, it, it is interesting. Like Nico Rosberg was never as quick as Lewis Hamilton. Like he, could, he, he had the ability to be quick periodically. He's actually very good in qualifying. Um, so if he, if he out-qualified Hamilton, he could often control Hamilton. Uh, but almost never, I can't think of an instance where Rosberg would qualify behind Hamilton and outwitted him in, in, in battle, you know, just drove away from him. And I don't think Czech, I think that's the position that Checo is in right now. Like he's, he's the guy in the other car 
is the fastest guy. Um, but can he? Rosberg could get inside Lewis's head, and that he could he could destabilize Lewis in a way that like Valtteri Bottas could never do. I think Valtteri Rosberg Bottas still does that to this day. <laughs> still, yeah, still does. <laughs> so, uh, so can Checo be that guy? Like, can he be that much of a bastard to to ruin Max in, in the head? Um, it'd be interesting to see if he could do that because if he can, that's his best shot, I'd say. Because if he starts, because we knew, if you remember, like the you know early version of Max Verstappen, version 1.0, who's very impetuous and impulsive, um, and and really not very good with his um, decision making. You know, he get himself in, he could get himself involved in incidents and so on. Um, and and last season, we really saw him calm down and just think, right, okay, this is this is the finished product now. Now he's now he's biding his time a bit more and you know just reeling off the wind like they're nothing. Um, if he can get Max flustered, then that will be very, very interesting indeed. It'll make, I tell you what, it would make a hell of a drive to survive episode. <laughs> it's amazing how we've all come sort of looking at a race or looking at situations around a race and thinking, yeah, can't wait to see the drive to survive angle on that in a year's time. <laughs> Saying that, we must get right out of watching the last half of this series. Yes. <laughs> Um, then, of course, the other, the other big talking point as well, um, the penalty that wasn't. Um, have F1 or the FIA contracted out video reviews to the Premier League's VAR team because it's taking that long now? Didn't take long for Ocon in Bahrain. No, well, that was hands yeah, on the car, wasn't it? That was mm. quite obviously a hand on the car. What Aston Martin, I think, were arguing was it was it was the jack went underneath the car, but they they didn't actually operate it. So what they 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 couldn't work on the car until the car was off the ground, and the car wasn't off the ground until after the five seconds were up. I think that's what they were mm-hmm. arguing. Yeah, but be be that as it may, why did we wait, you know, an hour before getting any wind of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I was sitting in the broadcast. I was sitting in the broadcast center with like forty people, and none of us knew anything about it until the, until everyone found out at the same time. Mm. You know, like, whoa, wait a minute! It's been a long hasn't been in the pitch for an hour. How's this just come up now? Because yeah, I've always assumed um, when someone comes in and serves a penalty, there is like a designated. Let's just have a look and make sure that was the full amount of time and it was served properly. But apparently yeah, I mean, not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Will Buxton had a, a, a good idea. I think I think it was Will Buxton who came up with it. He said, you know, why don't you, why don't you have like um, some designated area with sensors, you know, because there's, there's plenty of stuff hanging above the car in a pit stop. Why don't you put like a box and literally you say like, okay, serve a penalty, it's five seconds, the car comes in, stops in the box, and if you break the beam, if anybody encroaches on the beam, the, the clock resets to five seconds. You have to start again. That would problem solve, you know, straight away. It's like, okay, so if anyone breaks the beam, it resets to five seconds. You have to wait another five seconds. So that you just penalize yourself, you know, the penalty is compounded. Um, but then you also know definitively, know what, you know, you've either done, you've either broken the rules or you haven't, but you haven't, had to, you, haven't you haven't even touched the car. You know, you don't get, you don't get as close as getting to the car. You just break this beam around it, which that's how you, you know, the same way you judge a jump start penalty, you can use that sort of technology. So I think that might be a good idea in the future. 
Yeah, or, or maybe have, I don't know, um, four beeps and a silence to let everyone know when the um, five seconds is... Oh, hang on. No, no, we, no, no, no let's not open that, that can of worms again. That either, did we? <laughs> Actually, Sean, you can, answer, you can answer this one for us. This, this, this is a throwback to last week's show. The um, When the start lights come on, individually... Are the beeps added in TV production, or are they actually live beeps for the lights? Uh, I don't recall hearing them in real life. I think that's it. they're added on. So they could have they could have an extra beep when uh, when the lights go out. Then yeah, we don't understand why you get a beep for each light and then nothing when it's go time. Um, well, there has been a, there has been a there has been a sound effect when the lights go out. It's a different sound effect to the, to the other, the other, the lights coming on, but there was them. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't recall seeing them. I don't recall hearing them in real life. I mean, the thing is, you wouldn't hear them in real life. You've got twenty Formula One engines being red. Especially going back to the pre twenty fourteen days. Yeah, they didn't got a chance of hearing very much at all. I wouldn't have thought. Mm. Well, no, I mean, you, the thing that was that was Bernie era. You know, Bernie wouldn't have gone for that sort of stuff anyway. No, no. <laughs> um, I, I, Liberty added that um, in the last few years. I forget exactly when it started. Um, which I, I actually, I quite like it. You know, it, it's kind of a, it's a, it's an audio cue that the race is starting, you know. Um, well, it's, just, it's just a little bit too, it's a little bit too static otherwise. But mm. um, no, it, we I don't, don't ever recall hearing it on the circuit PA or anything like that. No, we just want to hear. We just want to hear one extra beep when the light goes out. We're, we're greedy like that. Plus, if it was Bernie, it'd have been five sprinklers going off at separate points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, we've had plenty of mishaps with lights down the years. Um, you know, not just not not just the uh, the the five the five red lights. I mean, we're, we're twenty. It's been twenty seven years now. Twenty seven years. Since we had since we've had these five red lights, it seems astonishing. It's been that long. Yeah. It was nineteen ninety six when they were they were introduced. Before that, we had the red light and the green light. We had a couple of instances where the green light didn't come on. And um, in Spa nineteen ninety four, the red lights came on. It went to green, and then with a, literally the click of the finger, it went back to red. <laughs> and I, I remember watching the start and thinking, um, is are we starting? Is it is it a false start? And all the drivers, as soon as the, as soon as the light went green, they all took off. You know, not one of them thought, "I'm not waiting." It's gone back to red. I don't know. It said green. We're going, <laughs> and the race started. Um, and then in 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 Spain, there's a couple of instances in Spain where the, one year the red lights came on, and instead of the green lights come on, they got amber flashing lights, like you've just gone across a. a, a you know, pedestrian crossing, which is a bit odd. Um, and then one year, the, light, the green lights didn't come on at all. I think it was 95. Uh, red lights come on, red lights went out, green light didn't come on, and everyone still went. Like, they just went as soon as the red lights went out, they were gone. And uh, that was actually the that was actually where the, the seed of the idea came. Like, why don't we just abolish the green light? Just no, They're not paying attention to the green light. Why do we even no. need it? Mm. Do it when the red lights come out. It was Damon Hill, wasn't it? I think who said that we actually we're we're watching the red light, and as soon as it starts fading, that's when we react. We don't we don't watch we don't wait for the green light to come on. We wait for the red light to go off. Right, and the first the first few years we had the five light system. It was um, the the normal um, like light bulbs, um, yeah. which take a little bit of time to extinguish, and then they um, 
a few years later, they switched to the LEDs, which caused they they go out bang instantly, you know, ten, you know, thousands of a second. So it made the start much more clinical, and makes it much easier to add sound effects when they go out. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> right, should we do the uh, the usual team by team look back? Well, we could try. We'll we'll give it a go. We'll start we'll start from the back because um, McLaren again Night- yeah. Nightmare Weekend two. Um, both both drivers in for new wings within the first couple of laps. Um, and then sp- spent the race fighting each other a little bit. Yeah, I mean it was it was a good sort of mid nineties throwback with McLaren chasing Dan Williams. For, yeah, that's one yeah. way of looking at it. <laughs> That's, that's an optimistic point of view, I would say. Um, <laughs> but I, I do want to argue a case for McLaren here, and that is, um, yeah, they've had a bad start to the year. They don't need, they don't need us to tell them that. Um, they had a crap weekend in Bahrain, but they were crap in Bahrain last year as well. It didn't surprise mm-hmm. me. Oscar Piastri qualified in exactly the same position that Daniel Ricciardo had qualified the previous year. But, you know, the car came good in the subsequent races, and Nor- Norris was on the podium at Imola. Um, this weekend, Piastri, Piastri did a, start, a really good job. Um, you know, got got up into uh, Q3. Um, Norris had a bit of a mare. That's only the second time in his career he's been knocked out in Q1. Which is a staggering statistic. He actually has the longest. He has the longest career of any driver to have had only the one elimination in Q1. Not even Lewis Hamilton had that good of a career in his early his earlier days at McLaren. Um, so. Yeah, Norris. Norris had a bad weekend. Piastri. Piastri was unlucky, um, you know, to, to get damage in the car and so on. But he he qualified very well, and he at least sort of proved that what happened in Bahrain is not necessarily indicative of his level of talent. So they'll they'll be back. I, I it, it looks bad right now because they're sitting bottom of the championship, but there there are there is cause for optimism. There 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 will be better times ahead. I think this is it. It's hard to say that McLaren are terrible because we actually haven't seen in either race, either car, have just a clean race. It's been shenanigans all around. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's it, it's just, I don't want to say it's bad luck, because they, they, they weren't very good in Bahrain. But they were, as I said, they weren't very good in Bahrain the previous year either. Um, they could have had a good result in Saudi, um, but it just went away from them. So yeah, win some, lose some. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we could we could see them considerably further further up the order in two weeks time in australia if you know if things go to plan because it, it seems to be they've got a potential for a quick car and they've got two potentially quick drivers yeah yeah i mean absolutely i mean the, last year last year in australia they qualified fourth and seven so uh, you know it, it they they have form when it comes to turning this stuff around quickly um, can they do it again this year? Well, we'll soon find out. I mean, I'm pretty certain that Lando Norris won't have too many weekends as bad as the one he had in Jeddah. That's probably the worst weekend he's ever had in Formula One. Um, but we all know Norris is pretty consistent. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's consistently in Q3. He's consistently picking up, you know, he's consistently picking up points. It might be in the lower half of the top 10 rather than the upper half, but it's still points. Um, yeah, I... I I, I'm not. I, I'm not ringing the alarm bells at McLaren yet. There'll be there'll be better days. No, oh, no. I mean this 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 isn't this isn't 2018. No, or it isn't 2015 for that matter. <laughs> mm. um, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, nowhere near that bad. Somebody, 
somebody was pointing out the other day, uh, or this morning actually, that McLaren were well, not, sort of 19k down on straight line speed, and um, I pointed out in return that in Russia in 2015, Jensen Button was 40 kilometers an hour down in the track, four oh, zero. God. Um, so that's that's a proper deficit. That's you know that's that's an outrageous amount of uh, speed to be to be losing to your rival. So that yeah, rumors of their demise has been overrated. I think there there will be there will be a recovery at McLaren. I hope so. Yeah, fing- fingers crossed. Uh, right, next up we've got um, Williams. We've got the al- album with the DNF, which uh, brought the safety car out, which apparently. The it safe? wasn't Alban. No. It, was it wasn't Alban. It was Stroll. Was it Stroll? It was Sorry, Stroll. it was Stroll, wasn't it? Alban just yeah. Alban made it Al- back to the pits. Alban got back eventually. to the pits, didn't he? Yes. Um, and Sergeant in sixteenth. Um, Alban was looking good up to when he retired. Yeah, it was a shame for him. And His teammate was still pretty much right with him, though. So mm-hmm. what does that say about Logan Sargent? Um. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's got the disadvantage what? of being Florida man. Hey, that never affected Phil Hill. True. <laughs> um, so Logan Sargent had a really frustrating time of it because he had that time in Q1 that was good enough to get into Q2. And then he completely, needlessly had his lap time deleted by running across the line, the demarcation zone of the pit entrance. Yeah. Um, which was very frustrating because he would have outqualified Albon. And, you know, he would have been looking at, wow, Logan Sargent, how about that? He just announced himself. And instead... He was banished to the back of the field. But both cars ran in the points. Both both Williams ran in the points during the Saudi Arabian break. Now that, for a team like Williams, is progress. And yes. You have to say that, that, you know, if they're going to be nipping at the heels of the top 10, you know, that's, that's, that's a good step forward. And um, rather than being the perennial tail end Charlie to sort of take advantage of opportunist situations they might actually nip a point here or here or there on pure pace um so again you know i don't i'm not expecting them to have the sort of improvement of results that mclaren would would be getting Uh, i think mclaren got more to offer us but um but there is there is evidence to suggest that you know logan Sargent in particular has more pace that he just hasn't shown us yet yeah, I mean, if he's you know if he's capable of doing something like that over one lap, I'd, um, was I right in thinking that time that he had deleted it would have actually finished him third in Q one, or did other people um, improve towards the end? It may have been third when he third. did it. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think you next? might be. Are you confusing? Are you confusing that? Are you confusing Max Verstappen's lap? Uh, Max Verstappen's Q one time would have put him third on the grid. I think it was. Um, might have been. Might have been that. Um, no, yeah, I, no. I think Sergeant did a lap, didn't he? And I think he went third, but I think it was a faster lap after that that then put him out because he needed to go quicker and didn't. Well, he did, but he wasn't allowed. Yeah, let me uh, let me just let me just double check whatever whatever it was I put out on the air. <laughs> he's going to have an, actually have a look because I can't remember exactly what it is but we should, we should clear up the conundrum here folks. just talk amongst yourselves for a second um, I'll tell you what back surgery is a real bitch isn't it eh? has anybody else had that oh it's terrible, uh, terrible. I'm, not, I'm totally not 
I'm not opening PDF files and checking stuff right now and trying to read while talking at the same time. No, it, not, it, com- it, it completely affects your memory as well, doesn't it? Back surgery. It's <laughs> it's, it's so bugger, bad. I can tell you, it yeah. is such a bugger. Yeah. Uh, One twenty nine seven two one was Simon's time, which would have put him in uh, where would he have been? He would have been thirteenth in Q one, so he would have been comfortably into Q two. Yeah. Um, and out qualifying Alex Albon. Alex Albon was out in Q one. So that would have that would have been a statement for Logan Sargent in his second drive. Um, he would have said, "Wow, okay, so he's not just some he's not just some token American in the seat. Like guy's got pace." Yeah. Which anybody, I mean, anybody who's, who's tracked Logan Sargent in his career, world junior karting champion. Thank you very much. Lost only lost the S three championship to Piastri at the very last race. We all know you all know the guy's got skills, but it, you know once you announce it on the big stage, then it's like, "Oh, hello, welcome to the show." Mm. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that wasn't a missed opportunity, and, and he will. There will be more chances to show that sort of form in a Williams uh, in the coming races. It would be, um, it would be, it would be good to see. I mean, obviously, you know, America's wanted a decent driver for a long time because. Um, do we mention Scott Speed again? No, we did that last week. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say after the amount of tweets I got last week, do I want to mention Scott Speed again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened last week? We mentioned Scott Speed. <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we mentioned Scott Speed. Said he 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 might not have lived up to his name. Well, well, he was very good in GP two. Um, he didn't win a race in GP two, but he he was on the podium a ton of times, and uh, you know he's certainly worth his he was worth his shot in Formula One. I think it. Unfortunately for him, it, he suffers as being the guy that got kicked out so they could put Vettel in the car. And yeah. I think Vettel did quite well after that. So he did. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't, yeah, wasn't, that was... wasn't too shabby. One of those drivers yeah, then... who was a bit of a, you know, if he'd come through at a different time, might have had a bit of a different shot in Formula One, but came through just as like Vettel, Hamilton, you know, so were, were mm. emerging. Raikkonen and Alonso were still at the top of their game, etc. So, you know, it's uh, it would have been a tough time to to have come in for anyone yeah yeah but uh, you know that's he had a season and a half um and that's a season and a half more than a lot of other drivers have had so there is that as well there's that counter argument and well the thing is once you stick Vettel in the car Vettel takes a car that you know has only scored a couple of points all season and suddenly leading the Japanese Grand Prix you're like bloody hell where'd you find this guy (laughs) yeah yeah, I think I think he was on to um, he was he was on to a complete loser, and obviously he's gone the, gone in the opposite direction of the um, the other recent American in F one with um, Alex Rossi, who I who I thought was in F one about three years too soon. Um, Alex Rossi. Mm. I think no, he, he was... well, he'd done he'd done all he could in GP two. Yeah, he, he was winning races in GP two. He was the only guy. the only guy who could really race Stoffel Vandor that year. Because um, Van Dorn just walked that title in 2015, he was clearly the best guy in the field. Um, but Rossi could could race him periodically and 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 out battle and out drive him. Um, but the thing is, is when when a Formula One opportunity comes along, it's very difficult to say no, even if it's back of the grid team. You know, it's like, oh no, I don't want that drive. I want a better drive. So that better drive may never happen. So you think, well. I'll get in, and we'll, we'll ask questions later. And for some and for some drivers, it will work. Obviously, Fernando Alonso being a great example when he joined Minardi, 
um, uh, Daniel Ricardo spent half yep. the season at HRT tooling around at the back of the grid. Um, I can remember being on the flight with Daniel Ricardo when we came back from Spa that year, and no one, no one knew who he was. You know, it's amazing to think. Imagine being on a flight with Daniel Ricardo these days, and no one gives a crap. Like I don't know who this guy is. You know, it was. Um, so, so sometimes it works, and, some, and sometimes it doesn't. And, and in Rossi's case, he went off to do IndyCar, gone quite well for him out there. So it's not. He's, he's, he's not been too bad. I mean, obviously, no, no not too bad. Um, now he's part of the McLaren organisation, and they own every driver in the world that isn't on the Red Bull Junior program. <laughs> Yeah, well, they've got a lot of things going on at McLaren, haven't they? With IndyCar, Formula E, and Formula One, they're getting back to the old, getting back to the old philosophy of Bruce McLaren motor racing back in the day. Well, that's what I yeah. love about Zach Brown. He's a proper racer. He knows do that, everything. That philosophy. Yep. Yeah, like that. Yeah, you you missed Extreme in that as well, because don't forget that team. Oh yeah, of course. Let's not forget. <laughs> you know, it's great. I mean, it's great that McLaren get involved with all this stuff. You know, because McLaren weren't a de facto. They weren't. A, they weren't just a Formula One team. There were so many other things. And, you know, it's really getting back to their heritage, much like Ferrari. You know, Ferrari weren't a Formula One team. They were they were a racing team. They did sports cars as well and, you know, so on. Which, of course, they're, they're going back into now with the um, with the IMSA entry. Yeah. Pole, pos- yeah. pole, pole position yeah. in the first race and... And then, yeah, backwards. <laughs> and then Ferrari... No. Sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> not not going to say Ferrariing it up, but Ferrariing it up. Tell you what, we'll move on to Alfa Romeo. That's 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 less contentious. Yes, um, I don't remember anything about their race. No, I don't either. Um, did Joe Grand you get in someone's way at some point, and then it was for about three seconds, and like on a pit exit, and then that was about it. I remember Bottas complaining in qualifying. That's the biggest thing we can say about Alfa Romeo's entire weekend. I think racing. so. Juan yep. Ujo get in the way of someone for three seconds once. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly anonymous race. We went back to being Sauber when they weren't allowed on TV. <laughs> oh, the alleged blue and white car, but we don't know because we never saw it. Yeah, we weren't allowed to see it. <laughs> unless unless one of the main guys was lapping them. Yeah. Um, should we just do the participation award now and give it to Alfa Romeo? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is which is ar- which is ironic because the partici- participation award is named after Antonio Giovinazzi. Ah, oh, well, there you go. You see, it's perfect. <laughs> so it's 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 back to its spiritual home. Uh, right, the exactly. uh, the other Alfa team, the Alfa Tories, uh, De Vries in fourteenth, Sonoda in eleventh. Again, quiet. Race for them didn't really see him getting involved. Sonoda had quite a fun battle with Magnussen, didn't he? For the for tenth, Magnussen got the better mm. of him in the end. But I think they they had a few close calls. Yeah, I think uh, Kevin Kevin Magnussen was very complimentary about Sonoda in the in the post race interview, um, saying his his, his uh, defensive driving was 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 very good. He was a really really tough customer to deal with. Um, so, you know, there's that. Um, but unfortunately for Sonoda, uh, two races in, he's got two, he's, he's finished 11th twice. So he's probably getting a little bit frustrated now. Um, you know, how many 11th places do I need to finish in before I finally get a point? Um, but if you're if you if you're Rasta Van Gutierrez, what's that, sorry? If you're Rasta Van Gutierrez, what? 
Well, yes, indeed, <laughs> uh, famously. Um, but Yuki Sonoda does have the upper hand on Nick DeVries right now. I don't think any of us had that down. Did any of us here think that Sonoda would be leading Nick DeVries around the racetrack in the first couple of races? No, very well, surprised. Well, no, I don't think I did, no. Um, a team leader, Yuki Sonoda, was something that I considered and, and straight away had dismissed because you'd, you'd think based on last year's performance, not that we saw an awful lot of uh, Nick DeVries last year, but based on last year's performance, you'd be like, well, Nick DeVries is probably in the right place to, to maybe lead that team and, and Yuki <coughs> will, be a, will be a good follow-up as well. So, um, yeah, but no, fair play to Yuki Sonoda. He's leading the team at the moment, which must be strange for Nick yeah. DeVries. Yeah, well, absolutely it is. And um, I... I... Reading in the Twitter sphere today, somebody made a great comment about Sonoda, which is, it's a shame that the three cars that he's had to drive in Formula One have not been have not come to him the other way around. Because the first car he drove was the best one, the 2021 car, mm. um, and this one looks like the worst one. It would have been better if it had been the other way around, and the, the, the worst car was in 2021. And and this year, he has the big, the really fast car. Um, uh, is someone dying in the background? Is someone choking to death? Yeah, Sean's had a Sean's having a pretty bad coughing fit. She's just left the room. <laughs> okay, that's blimey. Um, Sean yeah, will rejoin yeah, us shortly. I was going to say, so I tell you what, she'll come back on the next episode and she can explain my my ten day hospital hell. It could be like a double <laughs> episode of mine. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it's uh, it, it is a shame that Sonoda's probably driving better than he's ever done. Um, but we're not really seeing it because the car's not all that great. It's a bit of a letdown so far, AlphaTauri. It's just been just anonymous. At least, I mean, at least Alfa Romeo had a good showing in Bahrain. But AlphaTauri, I feel like, I feel like we haven't seen them at all all season so far. Yeah, well, I saw uh, in in Bahrain uh, when they were fighting with. I think that was Guan Yu Zhou as well. Actually, I think Guan Yu Zhou was fighting with uh, Nick De Vries. And because uh, there's a little bit of the undulation in the track, sort of around turns five and six, and I, I, from from the camera angle they chose to show us, I saw the Orlan um, rear wing ahead, ahead, and instantly thought, "Oh, the Alpha's still ahead," and it was actually the the Alpha Tauri had gone had gone past. I was like, "Oh, of course, I forgot now." Yeah, they switched to uh, they switched to that team. So, but that's about the only thing I can remember them doing in these first two races. Yeah, I I have a feeling that years from now, we could ask, actually probably months from now, we could ask Yuki Sonoda and Nick DeVries, what are your recollections of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix of 2023? And uh, they won't remember a thing about it. They won't even remember arriving at the airport. It'd be just completely... <laughs> I had this... I had this. I, I, I used to work with David Hobbs for, for many years, uh, sour of American broadcasting, British, British drive, for those who don't know, uh, 1960s Formula One driver, raced at Le Mans 20 times um, and, and a fantastic raconteur. Fantastic to go to dinner with. He has so many great stories from him. And he was telling me once at dinner, I said, I did the, it was, I did the winter series in South Africa with Mike Halewood. And I don't remember a thing about it. I don't remember <laughs> I don't remember any of the races. I don't remember going to South Africa. I cannot remember anything. The only way I know I was there is because in the auto course review book there's a picture of me. That's the only <laughs> I know I was there. 
So yeah, it's going to be that's what it's going to be like for Nick DeVries and Yuki Tsunoda. It's going to be like well, there are pictures that say I was there, but I can't remember a thing about it. <laughs> Um, moving on to Haas next. Um, K-Mag in 10th, Hulk in 12th. Um, I think Hulk's refinding his feet. Now he's got a permanent drive for the first time in three years. And K-Mag's, to quote Gunter, fucking Viking comeback continues. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, so. <laughs> I mean, after after the after what was 20, 2021, um, seeing Haas in the points is a bonus. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and and also, I mean, they 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 should have financial stability this year. Now they've got a real sponsor, um, so at least that claim shows over and done with. Um, and it, it's interesting that Hulkenberg has been outpacing Magnussen in qualifying so far, um, but uh, Magnussen is the driver with the point at the moment. So um, yeah, it's been. I, I'd say I, I think Hass. I think I was expecting a little bit more of Hass. What does everybody else think? I think they're roughly exactly where I thought they'd be, sort of hanging on to a point here and there at the moment. Um, I think the, the teams that, that are ahead of them, I, I, I expected to be ahead of them. I think the only surprise there, I think, is Alfa Romeo. I thought they were, they might, and of course McLaren. So <laughs> I'm just talking, my, I'm talking down my own point here. <laughs> but well, I mean, Red Bull, Red Bull, Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari, and Alpine being ahead of them, probably about right. And then anybody's game, really, after that. Yeah, I, I I should say, of course, you know, it'd be remiss not to mention how close this field is. We have this, you know, Red Bull are sort of in a different league. Um, but what's amazing is, uh, and you've probably heard this stat that we used in, in broadcast, uh, Q1 in Bahrain was the closest Q1 front to back in the history of this qualifying format. It was first adopted in 2006, so it's been set 17 years of using this qualifying format. And it was only, um, it was like 1.188, I think, was the gap, front to back. 1.188 seconds. I mean, that, time that, was that used in... to be the gap first to second, didn't it? Yes, exactly. There's been times when pole positions to second place has been bigger than that. Mm. Um, Did anybody know, see in, that lap that in... I posted on Twitter, the, the, the Pedro Diniz lap of Monza? No, do you no. go on? It, it was... I'm intrigued. It was Pedro Diniz, nineteen ninety-five, I think it was, lap of Monza. Oh. He was he was two point four seconds down on the first sector, and then something. But I think by the end of the lap, he was eight seconds off pole. <laughs> right. That, like, how, I, I, that, that incidentally, that's how the one hundred and seven percent rule came into effect. Following yeah, that good. season, that's yeah. how we arrived at one hundred and seven percent. Because if it had yeah. been one hundred and ten percent, the Diniz would have still, you know, been inside one hundred one hundred and ten percent. So Max Mosley decided, okay, we'll make it 107%. So you make these guys hurry up or get out of the sport. Yeah, um, yeah. So that, that worked. By the way, um, I also want to cross-reference the fact that we mentioned it was 1.188 front to back um, in Bahrain Q1. It, Australia 2015, the opening race of 2015, so only, what, eight years ago, Lewis Hamilton was on pole, and the fastest non-Mercedes was 1.391 seconds behind in third place. Good Lord. So... That is, it's it's a it seems like a paradox to say it with Red Bull walking away with this at the moment, but yet the field is so close and you know maybe talked about the anonymity of of Alfatari and and Haas, you know maybe they're just one you know tweak here and there away from from suddenly jumping into being you know regularly in the top ten. 
so it, it's it's exciting everywhere except the first two right now because <laughs> it's, it's a foregone conclusion that these two Red Bulls are going to be the fastest guys. Do you think it makes it difficult to catch up because the uh, with with like the underfloor being so important now, it's 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 more difficult for the teams to find out exactly where Red Bull are dumping all this drag but keeping the downforce. No, I don't think so. I mean, there's been there's been plenty of Adrian Newey cars in the past that people have looked at and gone. What have they found that we can't find? Hmm. That's you know that that's been an ongoing thing. I, I don't think the new regs um, are are helping Red Bull conceal a, a, a magic trick that's you know allowing them to be quicker down the straight than everybody else or anything like that. They had that advantage in previous years anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, uh, and we'll get on to Red Bull. But so I'll I'll, keep, I'll, I'll save it for when we talk about Red Bull. But mm-hmm. it, it is astonishing. That, that Newey, in this day and age where we've got you know AI and machine learning and all of this stuff, still Newey can again. come up with a car. But yeah, he's absolutely he's wiped the floor with everybody again. You're just like, why? What, what, is everybody else like wasting their time? You know, all, decades of knowledge of aerodynamics and everything, and then Newey just you know sweep of the sweep of the draftsman's pencil, and suddenly he's got a second lap on the field. It's unbelievable. Now I was going <laughs> to say, has, any, has anyone made his pencil pee in a cup yet? <laughs> don't 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 say that to me after the week I had in hospital. Let's just move on. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about something um, equally painful then. Ferrari. They're not up next, are they? Yes. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, yes, because you put things the wrong way around. It should be Alpine. It should be Alpine next, I think. And you put Ferrari before them. Yeah, no, put go Alpine. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, that's my fault. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I, I can only go on what I'm given here. Um, yeah, Alpine, Gasly in ninth, Ocon in eighth. Um, Jack Dewan being the only member of the team to bring home hardware. As, um, as no, they tweeted it. We're not, expect, not expecting Alpine to be on the podium, are we? <laughs> um, the way that they big themselves up in the past... You know, every, every you know every year is going to be their year because they've always said so. Yes, three years time will be challenging for it, and I'm pretty certain they said in 2020 they'll be challenging for it in three years time. I feel like they're probably for me the team that I thought might be giving us a little bit more at this point, and sort of haven't. Yeah, the kind of I don't know what I was expecting, but I've not seen it yet. Yeah, we were expecting a Lewis Hamilton outfit, and instead we've got a Nico Rosberg suit. <laughs> well, I, you know, for my part, I think um, Alpine, you know, they've had a solid start to the year. Yeah, um, I would say so. Not, not overtly spectacular. Um, Gasly, <laughs> Gasly's man, Gasly finished ninth, having started ninth. You know, started and finished in ninth in, in Jeddah, having finished ninth and started last in Bahrain. So he's very good at finishing ninth so far. Um, and Ocon, I mean, Ocon, I think it was a par, if, if it's used a golfing terminology. I think he, he, he parred the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, he qualified in the top six. He's, he's really good around this track. He, he and Alpine, are usually, uh, they're usually bat above average, um, if I can use another sporting analogy there. Um, and again, you know, where was he in the race? He was eighth. So, um, yeah, I mean, they got as much out of it as they were going to get, really. Um, so, you know, points but probably 
probably hoping for a little bit more. They'd probably want to pick off one of the big three teams. You know, they could maybe nab a Ferrari or a Mercedes along the way. It'd be nice. Uh, especially given the fact that Aston Martin are getting are getting in amongst the leaders. Yeah, I mean, if you can get one team that make that leap, you, you know, why why can't why can't they? You know, Otmar certainly knows what yeah. what goes on under the hood at Aston Martin. Yes, indeed, uh, and you know, maybe there'll be better days ahead for Alpine as well. Who knows? But um, uh, you know, at least they <laughs> they probably say that they're consistent. But given that Renault have a history of winning stuff in a landslide in Formula One history. They're yeah. probably a little bit discontent. You know, we, we haven't come here to finish eighth and ninth. Um, but uh, at least with the cost cap situation, it, I, I feel more reassured that Renault aren't likely to pull out at any given moment to save money. I mean, you know, it's, the, it's Renault. There are, there's always the threat of them pulling out. There, well, there, were, there was. But the thing is, is it, in the past, it was, that, you know, we had this unlimited spending. Now, now, it's, now it's tightly controlled. Um, there's, there's more of a, there's much more of an incentive to stay the course, even if, even if you're not doing very well in Formula One. There's more incentive to carry on, just because you, you can actually make a profit from operating a Formula One team, which is you know a laughable concept two or three years ago. Mm. Which, which is why the teams don't want Andretti in for dilution purposes. Or that's, Sorry, um, again. Which, which is probably one, which is one of the reasons why I think the teams are saying they don't want Andretti in for um, diluting the available pot of money. Yes, absolutely. It, it, isn't, it isn't an Andretti thing. It's a, an eleven team thing. It could they could be calling it anything. It could be called Lewis Hamilton's team. It could be called you know the Schumacher team. It could be called the Senna team. It would still be the same problem financially. Yeah, which is is a shame, but. I think we we covered that in great depth last uh, last time round. Right, we will do we will yeah. do Ferrari now. Um, a... They are disappointed, aren't they? Ferrari, Charles Leclerc's body language is the body language of a man who is pissed off. <laughs> well, they they didn't really get anything in itself wrong. They just, in hindsight, went not... a lap or two too early and then got done by a safety car. Uh, yeah, uh, but and just, I think it's more to do with the fact that their car isn't as up there as they wanted it to be. They they are in the battle for second with Aston Martin. Maybe Mercedes were it's kind of in it a little bit this this weekend as well. Um, and that looks like the battle's going to unfold for second. Whereas I think Charles desperate to be in a car that can be up there with Red Bulls, and he knows he's not going to get it this year. No, mm. uh, I mean the thing is, is uh, the the progress report of Ferrari this weekend was that, that the drivers weren't inherently unhappy with the car. It just isn't fast enough. You know, the car handles well. Um, it's just, they, you know, Red Bull got the drop on them big time. Um, well, they got the drop on everybody big time, haven't they? But, um, you know, Leclerc did qualify second, so it's not it's not all doom and gloom. He took that penalty, which kind of knackered everything up. But, um, you know, there is, there's, there's cause for, uh, I, almost, I don't want to say optimism, but yeah, more optimistic maybe. Um, less pessimism. Yes, they maybe don't be. Yeah, let's not be quite as doom and gloom on Ferrari. Um, they're, 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 the fact that he qualified on the front row. Yes, I know. Uh, well, he didn't qualify on the front row. He qualified second. Let me get that exactly. Let me get the terminology exactly right. Bearing in mind, I jump on everybody who gets it wrong. Um, <laughs> he qualified second, and um, yeah, yeah, I get that Max wasn't up there. So you reasonably assume that he would have been third if Max had been in Q three. 
Um, but still, he was only 0.15 away from, from Checo's time. So, um, at the very least, they can expect to be on the podium and at least um, taking the fight to Alonso in his Aston Martin. Um, but, uh, but not this weekend. I mean, you can, you can tell that it's not been a dire week for Ferrari because nobody's quit or been fired. <laughs> well, I know I did notice the, the comments of Frederick Vasseur, mm-hmm. uh, who quote unquote, yeah, quote unquote, said they need you know there needs to be no bullshit at Ferrari. Which, if you can achieve that, he really is a miracle worker. <laughs> 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 uh, that goes hand in hand at Marinello, um, but uh, it, it is good. It is good they've got a, a team principal who's willing to just call a spade a spade basically say, look, this is a lot of bollocks. You know, we've got to sort this out. I said last week on the podcast, and I don't know whether or not you'd, you'd agree with me, Sean, that this is going to be the season where Fred uh, looks at things that Ferrari have done and gone and goes, wait, why, why, do you, why do you do that? And they go, this is the way we've always done it. Like, well, this is why we're not winning races, so this needs to stop. And you guys probably don't need to be in this role, so get out. So it's going to be it's going to yeah. be a year a year of a lot of changes at Ferrari, I think. Um, and it's probably good that they don't have a car that's going to be good enough to fight for the world championship because I really think this is the year they need to concentrate on getting their house in order before they literally send the car out of the garage. Yeah, well, it's 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 it's, a, it's actually in a better situation. Freddie Vasseur is in a better situation than Jean Pope was when he became the boss in 1993. Because at that point, Ferrari hadn't won a race for three years. Um, and it took it took over a year for them to win another race. And it, even when Michael Schumacher joined three years after Jean Tote, it was he, they still only won three races that year. So it yeah. took a long time to turn that ship round, post-Enzo post days. Um, so I would say that Vasseur doesn't have as big of a task on his hands as, as Jean Tote did. But I can see... I, I, I look at Vasseur in a similar similar genre to Jean Tote. You know, he strikes me as the same type of individual. So it, it's good that, as I said, in the, in the early days of, of his stewardship at the Scuderia, it's good that he's coming out and just calling it what it is, because that's the first you know the, the first step in fixing your problems in life is admitting you have a problem. So if he's willing to go in there and say this is a this is nonsense, I don't know why this has been done the way it's done. Um, that's the first the first positive step. But of course that that's the sort of stuff that will take a year or two years to really to really manifest. Uh, in the meantime, they've got a car that's okay, but just sort of eh. I think I think everybody's. I mean, every, everybody'd be much more um, cheery if it wasn't for the fact that Red Bull are a second a lap quicker than them. <laughs> I mean that, that that's the problem, you know. The, um, you can you can say you're slow, but you're only slow in comparison to anyone that's faster than you. And if somebody's unnaturally fast, then you know, yeah. you know, over the last sort of fifteen years, there's probably been some incredibly quick hundred meter runners, but there's also been Usain Bolt. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's a perfect analogy. Um, it, it is it, it, if you take. I mean, if you, as, if you take Verstappen out of it, as we did in qualifying in Jeddah, Ferrari are only a tenth off pole position. Now, if you look at that, you think, "Wow, okay, we're in, we're in championship form here." Um, but then you put Verstappen in the mix, and you're like, uh, "No." <laughs> so, so yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, when you got an absolute freak of nature driving an absolute freak of engineering, 
yeah, yeah the perfect perfect synergy. Schumacher is a sort of Schumacher Ferrari type situation. Or is it? Because maybe Checo is going to start rocking the boat in the way that Barrichello would never have done. Uh, dep- depends if he um, gets told he's got a brake issue and has to slow down. <laughs> of course, we're, we're well past as well, aren't we? We're well past the thing now, I think, where a driver uh, would get COVID and need to step out for a race. I don't think that's going to happen so much this year. I wouldn't have thought, but at Red Bull, look who is waiting if one of the drivers can't do a race for any reason and has quite the opportunity to put themselves in the biggest shop window, not necessarily for a seat at Red Bull, but, you know, if there were any disharmony to grow within that team, look who's there waiting just in the shadows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. We, we haven't talked about him um, because he hasn't been at the first two races, but he is coming to Melbourne. So he's going to be loitering in the back of shop every time you look in the garage. Hello, everybody. <laughs> And it depends. I think we might get a very, um, you know, like uh, quite often, if you look into the Mercedes garage, it used to be Nick DeVries. Before that, it was Stoffel Van Dorn. Before that, it was George Russell, where you've got like your very serious faced sort of junior driver standing next to Toto Wolf. Um, I think we're probably going to see a little bit more serious Daniel Ricciardo, less sort of, you know, not, not completely, you know, devoid of humor because it's Daniel Ricciardo. Um, but a more serious Daniel Ricciardo than than when he was driving, you know, full time perhaps because he's he's really working hard to make sure he gets back onto the grid as soon as possible, and I think that's going to be reflected in his helping of the team because he'll be helping the team surely when he's in the garage. Yeah, but he did also say that the way he. The, the, However it feels in Melbourne will dictate a lot of his future plans because he, he wanted to see if he really missed it or not. So he said, you know, if you come, if you come to Melbourne and think, oh, yeah, you know, I missed the, missed the buzz of being a full-time F1 driver, um, that, that will change his thought process. Whereas he might go to Melbourne and think, you know what, I'm kind of over this. You know, I've mm-hmm. kind of had enough. Um, so he walks into, <laughs> he walks into a, civil war breaking out in the Red Bull garage he might he, he could either think ah I'll have a bit of this I'd be great in the second drive or conversely he might just think I'm sick of all this politics I don't want him to do with it anymore <laughs> yeah might go off and do some uh, US racing series because he's a big fan of Amer- American motorsports as well he is absolutely and one thing he won't be short of um, is offers to do uh, you know on stage appearances and stuff like that I mean it is astonishing the amount of money you can make as a, as a Formula One driver um, just from doing appearances. I mean, I've seen seen the, the, the telephone number figures that some of them get paid to do 10 or 15 minutes here and there. And it's just like, wow, okay, good luck to them. You can get, you can get tens of thousands of euros just to go and do 10 or 15 minute appearance. You can do like 10 of these appearances over a weekend. I mean, <laughs> you do the math on that one. We really, yeah. we really need to get an agent and better sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Wait, uh, let me well, just go is... and get let me just go and get my Formula One career off the ground so we can charge that much. I'm 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 um, I'm a, I'm appearing. I'm hosting uh, in the F1 Experiences Champions Clubs and for the Australian Grand Prix Corporation on their Fan Zone stage, and I'm doing an event in the city um, in Melbourne on the Friday night. 
And part of the reason for that is because I'm about 50 grand less than hiring Jensen Button to do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, why don't you get Sean to go up there? He's, he's much cheaper. And he, he just keeps on talking. And just put him on there. I mean, as we know, you'll do it for a Starbucks. Indeed. So wait yeah. a second, Sean. Uh, Does this mean you're a pound shop Jensen Button? It means I'm a pound shop Jensen Button. Yes, thank you. <laughs> an analogy I've used my Formula One career because we're the same age and we're both triathletes. I'm a very, very slow triathlete and he's an elite triathlete. I'm around Formula One. He's a Formula One driver. Um, I live in, I, we, both live in, we both live in Southern California. Um, we both uh, we both moonlight in Monaco. We, yeah, I'm I'm everything. Basically, I should put a poster of Jensen Button on my wall and say that's the guy I'm secretly trying to be. When I was younger, it was David Hasselhoff, but lately it's been more Jensen Button. <laughs> there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Pound shop Jensen Button right there. Pound shop Jensen Button, everybody. Thank you. But also full price, full price, David Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> He had a talking car. You talk cars. I, I, I wear jeans that are too tight for me and a leather jacket. What can you say? And I, and I drive a car. I drive a black car that talks to me all the time around Southern California. Am I right or am I right? <laughs> how's, how's the perm doing? And I even, I even hang out by the beach. I mean, what, what you... <laughs> it's all there. It's, it's staring you in the face, isn't it? <laughs> when you put it that way, should we do Mercedes next? <laughs> David um, Hasselhoff in Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> He's big in Germany, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he performed as the well. He claims responsibility for the Berlin Wall coming down. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yes, Mercedes. Russell in fourth, Hamilton in fifth. Um, Russell in fourth. Third, Bri- briefly fourth. in third, he managed to get a photo with the trophy. The artist formerly known as third? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awkward one. Because Mercedes must have got on the plane with that trophy and then been told, sorry guys, you're going to have to give that back to Aston Martin. Uh, yeah, I don't know actually. I don't know where it would have ended up. Whether they would have handed it back before then or not. Well, I know they got one photo of George Russell with it. Mm. And... I was um, I was doing my iRacing Sunday Night League race during all this time. Finished finished the race, and it was like, why is everyone saying Alonso's third again? And why are all these memes about people taking trophies off George Russell? What the hell's going on? So my the... favorite one of those memes was um, J.K. in the virtual insanity video, sort of creeping towards <laughs> the camera. Uh, it was a steward on its way to take trophies from George Russell. <laughs> I think I think that was one that was one of the ones I saw. But yeah, there was um, there was ten of us ten of us on the chat. I was like, what what what's what's happening? Somebody want to know what want to tell us what's going on? And yeah, um, that that was the most exciting thing that happened with Mercedes because well, did Lewis like the hard tires or not? Because he said he didn't like them, but we know never to trust him when he talks about tyres. You know, Bono, these tyres are gone. Oh, look, he's just done the fastest lap. And then he was then he was complaining about the hard tyres. Within 20 minutes... Now, I know this is going to be creative editing on the um, on the part of whoever's producing the world international feed. Sorry, not world feed. Um, there were all these drivers saying how good the hard tyres were. Mm. 
and you know was 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 that trying to was that trying to mix up a storyline or do we still not believe Lewis when he's talking about tires? He, he didn't have great pace on them though, did he? On the hards, no, but they worked for everyone else. Mm. Maybe it was Mercedes centric. I'm not sure, or early well, race. Also bear centric. in mind, yeah. Also bear in mind that Hamilton was the only guy. Um, other than Logan Sargent, who started on hard tyre, yeah. everybody else had mediums. So it's always going to portray, is it going to be presented to us as being slow? Because all the mm. other guys are on faster tyres. Um, which, yeah, that strategy call was interesting to me because I thought, well, if there's an early safety car, you've got to switch to the medium and run the rest of the race on the medium, whereas everybody else will come in and switch to the hard and run the rest of the race on the hard. Um, so they'd have no concern about getting to the end, but you might. So um, it, it, in the end, it, it, I don't think it mattered too much, but um, it, was a, it was an unusual call, I thought. Yeah, let me just. Do you think it was just like the, with him being out of position, we might as well try and do something different with him? But yeah, maybe. Um, maybe they're at the point where it's just like giving the hail marys, you know, just like okay, well, we'll try something. You never know; it might work. Um, maybe, maybe because maybe the whole race will be clean and green, and, you know, and then suddenly you get suddenly you get a, a safety car on you know lap forty, and you're like, oh, brilliant, box now, <laughs> get get the new tires on, and we're in, we're looking great. You know, it's sometimes uh, chaos theory can sometimes make you look like a genius, but equally make you look like an idiot. Um, but uh, one thing is for sure um, is that Mercedes are not. You know, the, again, not the behemoth we come to be accustomed to. Mm. Um, they're just very anonymous so far. I mean, not, George Russell finished 26 seconds off the race winner. Um, in so that, that he was the closest Mercedes. He was 26 seconds off the lead in a race that was interrupted by safety cars and bunched up by safety cars. Yeah. In Bahrain, the lead Mercedes was 51 seconds behind the winner. I mean, it, 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 this is this is a Mercedes of 10 years ago or more. You know, back in the V8 days, just not really a factor. I mean, the, the keep saying, you know, it's it's the design philosophy on the car and that's changing and it's coming in, but it, it sounds like a load of jam tomorrow. It, sorry, it sounds like what, sorry? It's, it's, it sounds like one of these jam tomorrow situations. You know, it, it will get better, it will get better. Um, but yeah. You know, there's, there's there's going to be updates and there's going to be side pods again. Um, but are they already too far too far behind with having to completely switch the whole car philosophy? Now that the... well, they might be in the context of, of this season, um, but they can always, always, always look at the look at the progress made by Aston Martin and say, look, it can be done. Yeah, it can be. And remember, Aston Martin switched cars halfway through last year didn't they? And they were really at the back and sort of crept forward a bit um, during last year. So if Mercedes could make as big a step as Aston Martin made last year, they'd clearly be in second place. I don't uh, think they can catch Red Bull. By the way, I can understand, by the way, that um, you know if, if Lewis Hamilton comes across as somewhat demoralised right now, I can understand it. After he spent the first half of last season trying to fix that porpoising issue. Um, and they got to the point at the end of the season where they were winning a race and finishing 1-2. And you're like, okay, so Mercedes have kind of got themselves back in the game here. And then they arrive at the start of this season and right back where they started. 
Um, I can understand it that Lewis Hamilton find it quite difficult to must find it quite difficult to motivate himself right now. When you've gone through so many so many years of sustained success, so many race wins, so many championships, and then suddenly you're, you know you're battling for seventh um, after after thinking you'd got over the hump at the end of last season, then suddenly you go right back to square one at the start of 2023. Um, it would be easy for me to see Lewis Hamilton and think, oh god, again. Um, whereas George Russell, of course, would be a bit more up for it because he's still in the fa- he's still hungry for for win number two rather win number four. Mm. Oh, we've, no, we lost you for a second there. Still, everyone's still there. Have we? I'm still yeah, here. No, yeah, right, yeah. Okay. yeah. No. <laughs> we're still here. We, hey. were just, we were just digesting. We were digesting that information that I gave. <laughs> Well, I imparted upon you, uh, and and we were considering how how our lives move forward from here. What I was about to say was, you completely froze, and then the uh, then the picture sped up to catch up, so you actually looked like a kung fu movie for about five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, uh, no, that, that the, the picture was actually running normally, and that actually happened. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. The marvels of back surgery. Not only have you got your memory back, but you've also uh, somehow installed kung fu into your spine. I've been playing Carl Douglas records all day. (laughs) What, the B-side as well? A little little reference for the kids there. Do do you think Lewis's uh, difference between him him and George Russell is the... uh, this whole idea that Mercedes are going to have to have to take a step backwards in car philosophy to, to make steps forward. Do you think he's kind of thinking to himself that if this is going to be like maybe another a season to two seasons of progress before Mercedes can get back up to winning ways, and he wasn't really intending to be in Formula One that long, you know, he he wants that extra world championship and wants to check out. Do you think he just he just doesn't think that? Mercedes can do it in the time time span he's sort of a lot of himself I don't know if it's that I, I we shouldn't underestimate Mercedes mm. you know they, they they have the capability of sorting this out but I think what's tremendously frustrating is the amount of sacrifice that Lewis in particular made in the first half of last season only to end up right back at at square one at the start of this season. Yeah. I think the idea was that look, we we got all we got this sorted out. Now we're back to being Mercedes. We had this problem that was fundamental in the car. We fixed it. Now let's get back to being Mercedes. And instead, they've come out with locks this year, and they're still crap, basically, <laughs> for want of a better <laughs> phrase. Um, certainly crap by Mercedes standards because Mercedes, again, you know, they're they're they're, they're not. They're not used to mediocrity. They didn't tolerate mediocrity. And that's why they kept wiping the floor with everybody. So suddenly to have the boot on the other foot, uh, it must be very depressing for everybody. Um, so it's a, it's a psychological challenge now. I've, I mean, I saw, saw some people in the Twitter sphere starting to call Toto Wolf's position into question. Um, and <laughs> I, just thought, I just thought to myself, well, this is not like football management here, you know, it's... <laughs> not like it you know he's not tactically you're not calling the pit stops and doing all that sort of stuff he's not there with a whiteboard telling lewis hamilton to drive this way around the corner and all that um and the thing is is you know forgive me if i'm wrong but i think total wolf was there for all of the uh constructors consecutive years of constructors world championships that they won so 
I don't think they've suddenly forgotten how to run a race team. It's just mm. the car's not quick enough right he, now. He also owns That's a third. Of, he also owns a third of it. Yes, <laughs> also that. So, um, you know, I, 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 I'd shy away from knee-jerk reactions because they were they were very competitive in the final third of last year, um, but they've they've clearly not picked on from that. And that's a disappointment. I mean, one of the biggest disappointments, I think, of this season so far is how mediocre Mercedes has been. Of course, I mean, Lewis Hamilton had to deal with quite a lot this week because when we saw him going up for the anthem, he actually had to um, park his own scooter against the wall because um, him and Angela Cullen are no longer working together. Which, I mean, they are practically the longest-running double act in Formula One, aren't they? Well, they certainly were until this yeah, weekend. Well, my, well much much is made of this and I, and I think I think it's overblown I, you know drivers have their personal trainers and uh, you know many many personal trainers are they're they're synonymous with a certain driver um but some but then also some move on some stay with the team you know like uh, you know, like Joseph Leberer at Sauber uh, who's there for donkey's years um, I've been there for donkey's years. Okay, he was in Formula One back in Senna's day. Uh, I am Senna, that is. Um, so you know, Mark Arnold was Kimi Räikkönen's trainer for, for for absolutely forever, and then um, you know, Kimi's not there anymore. It, I, I I I suspect that it's more. It feels like a bigger deal because we Lewis was winning all those races, and Angela would be. In, in the picture, you know, every time they cut a shot in the garage, she'd be there. And she was so distinctive because, of course, she's female present. Um, if it had been a male trainer, we probably wouldn't have noticed, you know, could, could anybody name, you know, what George Russell, could, it, could anybody pick George Russell's personal trainer out of a lineup? Probably not. Um, so it, I think more is probably being made of that than, than, is, than is necessary. If Lewis wanted to make a change, you know, he wouldn't have changed it for the sake of change. It must have been a good functional reason why, in much the same way as a tennis player might change coaches, for instance. I mean, yeah, in tennis, but, in tennis it seems to happen on a weekly basis. But it does seem strange, though, that the because she uh, she was at the first race, wasn't she? As a, no, uh, was she? Yeah, she was. Yeah. yeah, it it does seem weird that if you were going to sever. Uh, like for, for whatever reason it is with with your trainer and like obviously oh she she seems to do like quite a lot of like man management with with Lewis for various different things. It seems weird that it would it wouldn't have severed from the beginning of the season and it's after a race. See, I I wondered about this because I thought if he's making a change, actually you might want Angela there for the first race for that kind of that handover oh, with, with the new person. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But we haven't seen a new person. Mm. Yeah. Well, we should always caution that we don't know the full story and we're just filling in the gaps here. Mm. Oh, it's one hundred percent speculation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing, the thing that got me, the thing that sort of made me notice the most is he still actually goes to the um, goes up to the anthem on his scooter. <laughs> I mean, and by the way, by, by the way, before we continue, what an anthem! <laughs> oh, there was so much going on there, wasn't there? I, 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 I may have, I may have used the term the Jeddah Reformed Shoplifters Association brass band. I thought they were fantastic. You don't appreciate genius. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've also, <laughs> I've seen the room seven times. I know genius when I see it. I can't say I'm really <laughs> familiar with the Saudi anthem. Like I can't, I can't say I no, know that no, that's no, not how it's meant. Neither to did, sound, neither but... did they. <laughs> but also, can I just point out post-race anthems? How long is the Mexican anthem? Oh my god, Come it on. went on, didn't it? <laughs> I, oh. I want to make I want to I want to make a point about this. It's full disclosure here because I live right on the border in in, in San Diego, so I'm only yeah. 15 minutes from Mexico. Um, if you listen to radio stations in San Diego, they have to play the Mexican national anthem twice a day because their licenses they're transmitting from the Mexican side of the border on the because the the, uh, the license is cheaper. But one of the regulations is they have to play the Mexican national anthem twice a day. Um, so I'm very familiar with the Mexican national anthem, and normally it's a very rousing uplifting you know patriotic hymn it's really really cool uh, piece of music but the cut of music they use for formula one podium is mournful it's like the kind of mexican anthem you'd play at a state funeral it's like <laughs> god is this the best one you could come up with like this should be such a rousing chorus here and yet it's a bit like you know how the brazilian national anthem is very very it's, it's amazing it's, it's, it's one of the best yeah it's such a great piece of and, and imagine it imagine the the Brazilian national anthem, they played it in a minor key. You're just like, what? what? Hang on, someone died? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> you know, it feels like that. I feel like the petition, I need a petition Formula One to change the, the, the recording of the Mexican national anthem. They need to come up with one that, that Mexicans would actually like. Because I don't, every time I've heard the Mexican anthem, it sounded rousing. It's the only time I've ever heard it sound like a funeral is on the podium of a Formula One race. Talking of which, we need to set up a petition to get Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas to do the US anthem at oh, one of the three American races this year. That, no, that was bad. <laughs> Why? Where did she where, do it? And she, what, she where can it, I find this? She did it at the NBA All-Star game. Maybe three years ago, something like that. It would not be difficult to find. It was... NBA All Stars. It's Fergie anthem. Yes. Yeah. She sang it like a sort of Ella Fitzgerald. She put her own spin on it. Standard. Which I don't think you're meant. You're not meant to put your own spin on anthems. Was this? Was this Alex Ferguson who did it? He'd have probably done a better job. (laughs) By the dawn's early light. No, um, oh yeah, that's right. No, this this week I've got to insult Scotland, haven't I? No, I don't. I don't have to at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm glad about that. I did give them your uh, your Twitter so they can anyone can point that at you, Chris. Um, so Aston Martin, right? So it was Stroll who brought the safety car out. Apologies, my earlier error. Which apparently the GPS data said there was the tiniest amount of car hanging over the track because so no one uses the their car. eyes. Now that that was that was the explanation that um, Crofty gave us. So, yeah. I, I don't I don't want to be boring here, but this might be an insurance situation. It might be literally Formula One's insurance premium says if the car is overlying by even a millimeter, you have to bring the safety car out. It could be something as operational as that, which even we which we're all we're all grown at. Is mm. this really necessary? Well, yeah, the premium says it is. Which I mean, that's to be honest. That's that's what I that's what I thought it was, or something along those lines. When uh, when he was explaining it, um, Stroll was looking pretty racy at some points until the car. I think he he lost out in the pit stop, didn't he? I think both of the Ferraris shockingly came out ahead of him mm. in Ferrari, possibly getting strategy briefly right for a moment. 
Um, but yeah, he, he seemed to have good pace. Yeah, I mean, the the improvements that Aston Martin have made, you know, we, t- we touched on it last week and briefly this week. Um, it's it's almost like a different different team. And then you get Alonso getting his second, po- well, second and third podiums of the season. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I did yeah. see. I did see a tweet. Well, well, I did see a tweet from someone saying he's the only driver in F one to celebrate his hundredth podium twice. I I considered putting that out, <laughs> and then I said, and then I decided not to. I and I said Alonso has been on the podium more times in the last four hours than he has been in the previous eight years. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yes, Lance Stroll. Before we get to Alonso, uh, Lance Stroll. Um, uh, it was only a couple of tenths off of Alonso in qualifying, which I thought was a good performance. You know, I don't I don't consider Stroll to be the second coming of uh, Fangio, but um, I do. I've constantly said on the show, I've said on the show in the past, Lance Stroll's a lot quicker than people give him credit for, and um, you know, it, this is another good example. He's not in Alonso's cat. He's not in Alonso's league, but um, but he is more than capable, and um, there's certainly ample evidence to suggest that Aston Martin would be helping themselves with big points this year as a team not just from Alonso's perspective, but he was very unlucky that the car failed on him when it did um, because they were set fair for a good result there. Um, and then we get to Fernando, uh, <laughs> who put an Aston Martin on the front row for the first time since Roy Salvadori at the 1959 British Grand Prix, wow, um, wow. which is a stat that I've been waiting to use for a long time. By far, <laughs> the longest interval, by far the longest interval between two front row starts for the by a by a constructor um so uh there's that and the funny thing is is that you know alonso i think i think alonso was in that race the 59 british grand prix um, <laughs> was that so, was that before the second retirement or the third i can't remember that was that would have been the that would have been his first season at renault i think um yeah so yeah alonso who he's got no business being there. He's 41. He's over the hill. Should be on the scrappy. Go retire. You're too old for this. And there he is, still out there, operating at the top level, and still showing fantastic racecraft and so on. You know, hats off to the guy. Yeah. Um, and and I'm and I'm I was so pleased with him. Very very rarely, very rarely now when I do Formula One races, do I start to sort of uh, what the Americans would call hooping and hollering. At the, at the TV when something happened. I did that. I hooped and hollered at the TV when Alonso took the lead at the start <laughs> because I knew that he had not led the first lap of a Grand Prix in more than in nearly 11 years. So I thought, wow, Alonso leads lap one. That is like, <laughs> it's like, have we gone back in time? You know? I think um, my house is about a mile and a half away from Lee's, and I think I heard him. Yeah, I was, I was pretty excited. <laughs> and there was also there was also that brief moment where you thought, "Are we going to get a race out of this?" And then, of course, Perez passed it on like lap three, and like, uh, "No," but it was a good while it lasted. Um, and you know, I'm really I'm really pleased he, he he got his podium back. I thought it would have been harsh in the extreme to strip them of a podium of that very very you know inconsequential uh, faux pas at the pit stop. Um, and indeed, I mean, the, the, the five second penalty in itself, I just thought, oh, I don't know, it's dubious, isn't it? I mean, he's not starting ahead of his starting position. He's just starting slightly to the left of his starting position, um, which in theory would actually 
penalise him more because you're even more in the dust there mm. by the pit wall. Yeah, I um, think David David Coulthard said that as well on the um, F1 TV coverage at the time. Did he? Mm. That's funny because I was actually working on that broadcast and I don't remember. I don't remember what he said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they have been they have been coming down hard on um, grid box infringements. Um, F2 and F2 for the last two races. And yeah, F3 start in procedure generally. Yeah, you usually get to about lap three and there's all these um, start procedure noted mm. um, coming up on the top yeah. of the screen and. Yeah, I think Alex Jakes and Crofty have both been saying, you know, they are really clamping down on that a lot this year. It seems to be a thing, though, doesn't it, with uh, F1 student? Like, well, there'll be like one thing every now and again. You know, it's it's either you, you, you know you, you're free to race, or if you even look at the white line wrong, we're going to give you a ten second penalty. This this seems to be just these little little things that they'll jump on top of, and that'll be the theme for the season. Maybe it's like, you know, the focus on certain mm. corners during a race for track limits, so the focus on certain rules for penalties each weekend. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be the, um, the you know, the subject du jour of the mm. FIA right now. <laughs> um, and um, it, it's, it does seem a little bit pedantic. Um, I, I, I get it, you know, because they say, you know, if you start too far to the side, you start to cheat the jump start sensors. Uh, so I get I get what it's all about, but um, it would be nice if we come up with a slightly more idiot proof way of, of policing that, mm. um, because we well, look where we ended up. You know, we ended up with this farcical situation where Alonso was on the podium, then he wasn't, then he was. You know, um, it just it just it kind of leaves a it leaves a bit of a sour taste. You know, you sort of go away thinking, well, did they, did they win or did they or, or did they finish third or did they not finish third? You know, yeah, I like what Fernando yeah. said post race as well when he was like, um, you know, well, you know, why did it take them so long? If they told me I had another penalty for you know starting, you know, whatever it was of you no know, the, the pit lane penalty, told me that I had another uh, penalty for that, then I would have just gone faster and made sure that I had a gap to to them behind. Like, do you think you could have done that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, 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 I, I, I couldn't catch the guys up front, but I could have put a bigger gap to the guys behind. And this was after right. Nico Rosberg on the sky on the sky coverage. Nico Rosberg had said he was watching Alonso, and he was just like doing qualifying lap after qualifying lap after qualifying lap. What well, in the middle of a race? Which you, you don't see drivers do that these days. No, no, not not usually. Um, yeah, I mean, the, with the penalty applied. Alonso was only uh, 0.3 of a second ahead of Lewis Hamilton. So he nearly lost fourth place as well. Um, so at the very least, there's, you know, he, he would have driven faster to try and make sure he got fourth place after this penalty. Um, but yeah, it does, again, it's not, not a great look for the FIA. You know, it's, 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 it's frustrating when you have this situation when, we, okay, we've got this arbitrary penalties flying in. Especially when you look at the actual starting grid, you look at still images of the starting grid. You say, "Hang on a minute, other cars are out of position. Do they not? Do they not get a penalty?" But he does. I mean, it, it yeah, it's it doesn't. It, it, it can't keep going on like this. You know, it, it needs to be a little bit more uniform, I think, rather than this sort of arbitrary. Oh, well, we finished the podium now. Now let's announce that Alonso is under investigation. You know, imagine if he'd won the race. You know. It, then, then you'd be like, oh, we've just given him the winner's trophy, and now we penalise him, and now he's second. Mm. 
Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, the FIA have said they're going to do something about it in the um, in the intervening two weeks between now and Australia. But what they're going to do and how they're going to announce it, I have absolutely no idea. You know what? Yeah. You know what can they do? They've got the what is it? The remote operations center in Geneva that is looking at yeah. all the video footage. Yeah. Look. Yeah, yeah. Look quicker. It is. It does remind me to hark back to the days of Max Mosley, um, who, who, the, the, who's the smartest man I've ever encountered. I've never, but I was, I was in awe of his intellect. I just thought, God, this guy could argue his way out of a paper bag and <laughs> convince you that it was all your fault when you had nothing to do with something. Um, it was unbelievable the way he could argue a case and. Um, one thing I would say is that in the Mosley era, the FIA were definitely respected. You know, they, they, they you always felt like that there was a solid explanation behind everything, almost everything. Um, and, and if there wasn't, Max Mosley would, would be able to create an explanation that was entirely plausible. Um, and it seems like they, they, maybe, they're, maybe they're missing that to an extent. There's this, somebody is, with legal acumen and the ability to argue the toss that Max Mosley had um which yeah it's uh it's, it's all gone a bit a bit afraid at the edges of fia towers lately isn't it ever yeah. since abu dhabi and all that and, and and carrying on into last season with the whole situation in japan the japanese grand prix and now we've got you know penalty city in bahrain and saudi mm. yeah just let's just hope they get their own house in order at some point soon please i mean it is you know i'm sure you know, it's, t- it's I'm taking sure away FIA from... themselves. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the FIA themselves are thinking like, you know, this is not a good look on us. We don't, we don't want it to look like this. Um, we want to look like far more sure our, our decision making and, and not and not become this the the story themselves. You know, when 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 you're adding penalties onto people because they start in one millimeter out of position. Mm. You just think is this entire is this entirely necessary? I mean, there was no there was no uh, performance gain. You know, it's not like it's not like Alonso can bomb me down the pit lane at you know, twice the speed limit. That would be a little bit more egregious. Mm. So um, hopefully, hopefully, we'll, from now on, fingers crossed. Maybe I'm being an optimist here. We won't talk about the FIA quite so much. So they'll just be the sanctioning body, and we can go back to talking about racing rather than penalties and sanctions and so on. Yeah, can we leave the sanctioning body controversies to FIFA because they've cornered the market in it and they are so good at it? Well, they are. Yes, they are the world champions of it, aren't they? <laughs> Still haven't got around to watching that United Passions film. I can't bring myself to do it because <laughs> it just looks. I it... haven't, but I. But I, I'm, I can't wait to watch it and think, wow, Seth Blatter is such a hero. Wow, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that football, like football, wouldn't exist without Seth Blatter. Amazing how he saved it from everyone. There's, those nasty people who he invented who have, it, didn't whatever. He? Yeah, I mean, did he invent the game? <laughs> I, I think he must have done. Yeah, him and Joe Avalanche and uh, all that lot. Uh, what is it? Anyway, we, dig- we digress. I was just going to say, Tim, Tim, Tim Roth. Started with Aston Martin. We've ended up talking about a, a film about theatre. I was just uh, going to say, Tim Roth said he made it because he had um, one of his kids just about to go to college, and that would have paid for it. Yeah, I heard Tim Roth hasn't actually watched the film, which you know probably means he enjoyed it more than most people who did. <laughs> and finally, we get to Red Bull. Um, insert superlatives here. Um, yeah. 
yeah, it's un- unbelievable the start that they've, they've got off to here. But amazingly, there's only the second time ever that Red Bull has scored consecutive one-two finishes, and the first time in 14 years. Wow. Um, it, yeah, that's an astonishing statistic. Um, you know, because you think like, Red Bull, they must have had a consecutive one-two at some point. Nope, not since the 2009 British and German Grand Prix, a long, long time ago. Um, so yeah, it is. What what can we say about Red Bull? I mean, the, we all thought Verstappen would win this race, and he didn't. But I think if he started at the front, he would have won it. Um, and as we said earlier in the program, you know, the, the the test for Checo Perez will be to defeat Verstappen in a straight fight because mm-hmm. we can reasonably assume, all things being equal we're going to have a lot more Red Bull front row lockouts in the remainder of the 2023 season. That's when we'll see can Perez hold a candle to Max Verstappen because if he can, that's going to, that could, that, that could leave Max rattled. So I think, I, I don't think Max is prepared for the concept of having to battle a teammate to win the world championship. Yeah, because he's, yeah, like you said, he's, he's not been in that position before. And it's untested ground for him. Obviously, Checo's got to find a way of testing the ground. But mm. um, well, Max, Max has only ever, Max has only ever, it, in his entire career, he had only ever been in a one-two fit, finish for Red Bull, where he was the second driver, only once ever. And that was the first time it happened in 2016 when Daniel Ricciardo won in Malaysia. And of course, Verstappen, that was his first season at Red Bull. He'd won the race in Spain earlier that year. But at that point, we weren't talking about Verstappen as being a championship contender or a world champion or anything. And he was still—he was only 18 years old at the time. Well, actually, I think he'd just turned 19 at that point. Um, uh, so he was still very much in his formative days. But he's got very, very comfortable now as being the top man. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 that to me would be the intrigue in this season. In a season that looks like, it's, I think we can already... We can already select who's going to win the constructors' championship, and and who and it's down to two drivers in the drivers' championship. That's where I see the intrigue developing. It was fantastic to see that psychological battle over the fastest lap of the race, um, which to me was the most intriguing part in the closing stages. It was watching exchange fastest laps. I think both of them had done the maths in their head and knew whoever got the fastest laps was going to lead the world championship. So we tried. I tried my best to put to, to really push that in the TV broadcast. It's like that's that's the intrigue now, psychological battle. I mean, to be honest, I I think for a large part of the season, that's the only racing we're going to be seeing from uh, from Red Bull or involving Red Bull with them racing each other, just just for the fastest lap. Mm. Even if they're not on the same part of the track, they will still be trying to outdo the other. Just just for yeah. that, just for that little sort of psychological dig. No, the other one, just, you know, yeah. you might be ahead of me, but I'm quicker than you. Right. And and the thing is, I mean, Verstappen went for the fastest lap on the final lap of the race. Um, Perez had set the fastest lap 12 laps earlier. And uh, Verstappen uh, beat him by 0.282, relatively small margin when you're doing a, a big, you know, flat out going for the fastest lap. You know, normally, normally you, might see point, you might see a second faster sometimes. Um, but he only beat it by less than three tenths, uh, and it's those three tenths that put Verstappen in the lead of the World Championship instead of Checo. That would have been the first time that Checo had ever led the World Championship. Uh, I, I genuinely think psychologically it would have been a game changer. 
I mean, yeah, when you're when you're looking at a world championship sort of split by that margin, it's frighteningly small. But then the margin to margin to everyone else behind, you know. I I just hope they don't turn into their their own worst enemy, you know. <laughs> we don't want well, we don't want to see them taking each other out. Okay, it might open the might open the title race up, and we we could have two thousand and two thousand and seven all over again. I was just going to say that I'm more than happy to watch Alonso win a Kimi Räikkönen World Championship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think it, it it might need that. Might it? it might need the two of them running into each other for for, for Alonso to win a race this season. <laughs> Um, hope I hope I'm wrong. Um, they, they they're definitely a long way up the road. There's um, always that one it, race, it, though, isn't there, where where the where the leading team get things very very wrong. Yes, uh, someone actually somebody actually DM'd me today and said, "Do you think Red Bull will win every race this season?" And I said, "Look, I've been doing this a long time. I, I'm old enough to remember 1988 when McLaren won 15 out of the 16, mm-hmm. and you know." Uh, there was Williams in 1992, yep. five races in. You couldn't see a situation where Williams could lose, and then they lost the very next race. Um, it, we've been we've been around this concept many, many times, and no one does it. They never manage to win every race in a season, and it's harder now because, of course, you've got 23 races in a season, not 16. Um, so, for Red Bull to win every race in a season, I I don't expect that to happen because it's, everything has to go right every time. And it's just the law of averages means you have some sort of mishap along the way. Um, even if it's something this is like a, you know, a badly timed safety car. Um, and then it can take the race win away from you. Just ask Lewis. Um, sorry, is it too soon? I should have said that. Um, <laughs> um, Remember tweet at virtual stat, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't expect Red Bull to win every race, but I do expect them to be. I am expecting them to be the, the fastest team in every race. Let's put it that way. Looking at where the um, Aston Martin was quick, you've got to think they've got to, they they've got to be at their closest somewhere like Monaco, haven't you? Mm, it's hard to but tell, Aston really. Martin, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're at their, at their uh, well, two Red Bull. Uh, Monaco, yeah, Monaco's uh, well, a complete outlier, though, isn't it? I mean. It is, yeah. Um, it, it is. It, it, put it this way: Monaco is a great opportunity if there's a well-timed crash at the end of Q3 that happens to freeze the positions with an Aston Martin. <laughs> 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 I, um, um, I, I have a GIF I can. Um, I'll send you later, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's just say, for argument's sake, and it doesn't need to be an Aston Martin that crashes. It could be one of the Red Bulls. Uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, if you know an accident of track position or a fortunately timed safety car, and suddenly it shuffles the pack, and you've got a different guy in the lead, and it's almost impossible to get past him in Monaco. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, don't forget if Olivier Panis can win in Monaco. It's fair. Yes. Yeah, uh, well, when I, only I, four I really cars finished, <laughs> I, I really can't see that scenario playing out ever again. Not with this generation of cars, because the cars are a lot longer. And Panis, um, Panis had a car that was. Set up for dry conditions, so as the car, as the as the as the track dried out, the, the race came to him, and it was easier to pass with those cars because they were because they were shorter. Um, so you didn't have quite as much, you know, limousine to drag behind you to try and get past somebody. 
Um, so I don't think I, I can't envision a situation where anybody could win from 14th on the grid in one of these cars unless literally every other car ahead of you retires. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, I mean, even in Panis's case, that, that even that statement is nearly true in that race. Um, but uh, yeah, it would be a long shot. You'd have to have, unfortunately, um, qualifying still sets the tone for the Monaco Grand Prix. Mm. I digress. I mean, I, this is a bit of a digression, but I, I have said several times there. You know, there are a couple of things we could do in Monaco to make it a bit more, um, a little bit more chaos theory without spending any money. You know, you don't need to don't need to spend a million euros widening the chicane or anything like that. You could just say you have to run three dry compounds in a race. You know, and then you got to then you're forcing a two stopper by default, mm. and that, that, yeah. that adds something. Or and then you could say, could we? You know, you're not allowed to run. You have to run a Monza spec rear wing, you know, so you've got very, very little downforce. Um, this sort of stuff, you know, there's all stuff that's free. You can do it. You, you can do it in ten seconds. Um, God, a Monza it spec might rear change wing. something. It might not. Monza spec rear wing round there. God, Maldonado's retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, the, the cars would be very spectacular with no downforce, basically. You know, sliding around those those uh, corners. Uh, it would be be fascinating to see how they'd cope. But uh, anyway, that, that's nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, basically, basically, basically what can we say? going back, utter domination is the only way to describe yes. what, what they did. Yeah, um, it, there, was a, there was a long long phase in that race where their, their two personal best times were a second a lap quicker than every other car in the race. Uh, that yeah. That is domination. Um, that is absolute that's annihilation, not, mm-hmm. denom- not domination. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's up there with, uh, you know, early early hybrid era Mercedes in terms of its uh, it, the totality of it. And it also reminds me of the 2004 Ferrari uh, when they came to Albert Park in 2004 and absolutely destroyed everyone. Just <laughs> we went into that we went into that season thinking, oh, this is. This is it. This is the year. Alonso, Raikkonen, they could win the championship. It's going to be great. And they absolutely got steamrolled by the Ferraris. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was depressing. Um, and then, of course, of course, Schumacher went and won 13 races that year. So, uh, yeah. Mm. So, not looking, not looking, uh, not looking dissimilar so yeah. far. Uh, right. Rock stars and wankers from this weekend. Do we put the FIA in the wanker column? It seems like a good I, bet. I, w- I would never do never do such a thing. That would be a terrible <laughs> thing to say about the FIA. Um, obviously, rock stars, Red Bull, and all who sail in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, of- hang on a minute! Whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> Time out! <laughs> You're forgetting something. What have you forgotten? The 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 hero. What was it? The rock star. I'm sorry. The rock yeah. star of the week. That was that was no. The rock star of the week is me. Coming out of hospital <laughs> after three days after back surgery. We would, have we ever had someone nominate break. themselves Hang before? On. Hang on, I no, I'm, in, I'm uh, wait, I am in on this. <laughs> oh, I, I am, I am but, in. But, I, I, was, but, I was, I was, what I was doing but, was I was, I was asking, building. I was building, and I was also asking for nominations. <laughs> but I have a, but I have a caveat to oh. it as well. The sneeze goes in the wanker category for putting you in hospital yes. in the first place. <laughs> that seems yes. reasonable. I, I agree with that. I agree. I, I definitely, definitely hard into the wanker category for the Bahrain race. Um, <laughs> and that that that's the yin yang of the here of the rock star part of the Saudi Arabia bit. 
Has anyone been a rock star and a wanker in consecutive races? Mm. Ooh, I've been to the probably. Yeah, yeah, we might have to. That, that, that's, for, that's for Paul and his spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> Do you uh, have a database on the Rockstar and Wanker? No, because it's usually one of our um, Discord admins, Electron John, that um, puts these together. So. John, um, do your stuff. Someone somewhere yeah, will know. because he, he was the guy that did did the spreadsheet of all the total shunts as well. Um, talking of which, I know we haven't, we haven't done one for a while, but it, it would be unfair not to do at least one total shunt while Sean's, Sean's with us. And, oh, God. <laughs> right. All I, can, all I can say to this is um, Sean stands the highest chance of getting it. The other three join in if... if I was going to say, are we all playing along? You're all playing along. Join, okay. join in if you can. So, question one. I was born... See, I still remember the format. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> in 1937. Okay, so... Fernando Alonso. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're two years out. <laughs> I finished third in the 1964 French Grand Prix on less than four wheels. 1964 French Grand Prix. And third clue before um, you first guess. I won the 1968 Formula 2 Championship the same year that I made my full season Formula 1 debut. Oh my god. Hang on, how... How can you finish third in the 1964 French Grand Prix, and but not made your Formula One debut until 1968? Finished, finished, whatever it was in in the 1964 French Grand Prix on less than four wheels implies it could be someone who maybe did a bit of motorcycling. Perhaps. French Grand Prix does not necessarily mean Formula One French Grand Prix. Born in 1937. Sean mentioned Mike Halewood earlier on in the podcast. I don't think he was that old. Maybe he was. He did, obviously, cars and bikes at the same time. Huge mm-hmm. name Mike on the, the Isle of Man. Mike the Bike. Huge name on the Isle of Man. Giacomo Agostini never won a TT when Mike Halewood finished a race. Now, that's a stat. There you go. That is a stat. That's an impressive one. <laughs> You got anything on this, Sean, or shall I, uh, shall I kick on? Well, I know who won the 1968 Formula 2 championship, but carry on. Yeah, uh, carry on. <laughs> okay. Um, clue four. Yeah, I, think, I, think I, know, I think I know who it is, but I, I don't want to ruin it at this stage of the proceedings. <laughs> <laughs> the cars of my era can be described as having a phallic shape, to put it politely. <laughs> My team went one step further and actually put a cock on our car. Fantastic. Oh, so it was a French team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, With cocks proudly displayed over our shoulders, my world champion teammate and I won the 1969 Constructors' Championship. And I may have been the first driver to be suspended from Formula One because of my actions in the 1971 Buenos Aires sports car race, which killed Ignacio Giunti. I was lucky to be spared. It, 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 is, it is absolutely the person I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sean got it after the first three. And what, what threw me was the 1964 French Grand Prix thing, which as has since been pointed out, 
uh, was not on four wheels because it was motorcycle. It was a it was motorbike French Grand Prix, not the car French Grand Prix. Um, so there was me. There was me trying to rack my brain to think who was third at Rouen in 1964. And I'm looking. I'm thinking in my head the wrong race, not Formula One race, <laughs> but motorcycle race. Um, I will. I'll, I'll carry on with the clues. See if anybody else can get close. Uh, I am part of the exclusive club of drivers who have won a Formula One Grand Prix. My win was in 1972 in Monaco. Uh, please come on. That's a dead, that's a dead giveaway. That's that clue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please, please don't hate me, but I helped to design circuit Paul Ricard alongside Henry Pescarolo. And uh, I have won my class at Le Mans. Sorry, it's a total shunt. I've got to say it properly. Le Mans. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> in both real life and in fiction. Oh, so somebody fiction. who starred in a film. Um, and I also failed to qualify for my final Formula One race in 1974. After that, I completed at Le Mans, I can't do it, and won two French touring car championships. Anyone who isn't Sean have anything on this? I personally nope. do not. Chris? Not currently. Doesn't sound like Mike the Bike. It sounds um, more French than Mike the Bike. Possibly. The Mike Ray Bike. <laughs> we do have a we do Mike have a spaffer. <laughs> yeah, we do have a spaffer for anyone who needs it. Yeah, go on. I was the first of several French Formula One drivers to have a hyphenated name. Well, they were all copying him after that, were they? Apparently, yes. <laughs> Sean, do you want to put everyone out of the misery? Yes, I think we probably should. It's Jean-Pierre Beltois. It is Jean-Pierre yeah. Beltois. <laughs> okay. Did not know that Jean-Pierre Beltois raced motorcycles. <laughs> and won the French, yeah. Grand, French Grand Prix in 1964. N not at Rouen. Uh, no, he didn't win it, did he? He was on the podium. Oh, so oh, third, sorry. I thought you said Oh, sorry, third. third, yes. It was small print. Um, yeah. Right, I think that think that about uh, does us for this week, Sean. Thank you so much for um, coming on with us this week after your, um, shall we say, torrid last couple of weeks and few months before then. It's been an interesting, it's been an interesting experience. <laughs> um, obviously, other rock stars. Uh, what was the name of the uh, medical facility that you were in in Bahrain? Uh, the Salmania Medical Complex. Those are all the real rock stars, the people who put me back together, put Humpty back together again. Um, my my two my two surgeons, the uh, the five uh, the five member team in the operating room, uh, the twelve nurses who worked uh, the ward uh, over three shifts, twenty four hours a day. Uh, yeah, they I they they they're, they're the real heroes of the week. They uh, they've contributed to me being able to sit here in peace and not in being chronic pain. So God love them all. Even with those curtains behind you? <laughs> Even with these curtains behind me, these are lovely curtains. They've escaped from... I tell you what, Jean-Pierre Beltoise had these in his house in 1972. <laughs> <laughs> so from now on, the quiz will be called Who's a Total Curtain? Well, well, Lee, you're going to you're gonna have to change your Twitter name again. And uh, talking of... Sounds like an even bigger double entendre than... It does. <laughs> I was thinking exactly the same. <laughs> Who's a total curtain? <laughs> oh, God, where are you going with that? <laughs> on, um, 
on that subject, if you want to get hold of us on Twitter or any of the socials, we're at Three Legs Four Wheels. Obviously, there's the website, Three Legs Four Wheels at Gmail dot com. Uh, That's sorry, not three, a website. Three Legs Four Wheels dot com. It's been a long day. Um, email Three Legs Four Wheels at Gmail dot com. Uh, look on the website for our Discord as well. And uh, just a heads up. It's almost three years since our first big iRacing race that we um, had open for everyone, where we did the um, Indianapolis 250, and we're doing we're doing it again. 21st of May, so if you're on iRacing, um, drop us a line and reserve yourself a spot on the grid. Limited to 30, 33 competitors. Um, everyone who's in the league gets first shout, but there will be uh, there will be some spots available if you haven't joined the league yet or. If you want to come into that one for a one-off, uh, we'll be streaming it on Twitch. Um, some of us will be around on the chat during the race. Lee might even be convinced to come out of retirement and take part. Lee, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll be doing that on iRacing on the twenty-first of May after the Emil- Emilia Romana Grand Prix. I managed to get I managed to get myself within four tenths of you in the end on that. Uh... Oh, uh, thing, yeah. Do you know something? Close. We've known we've known each other twenty three years now. This is the first time I've beaten you at a video game. I know, yeah, and I still <laughs> think I still think that's more because I had a child in the room and not talent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Well, Alonso did say that Schumacher slowed down because of the child. <laughs> yes, yeah, to, to be fair, Schumacher never had his child in the cockpit with him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I'll take it. If you want, if you want to get us all individually on Twitter, we are at Sean Cowper, at Flood Twenty One, at Musi Audio. I'm at Pablo One Hundred, and of course, Sean, you are at Virtual Statman. Thanks again, Sean, for joining us. It's always great when you come on, uh, come on the show, and um, hopefully, we'll be able to sort out some time to get you on again during the course of the season. And um, if, love it. I'd love to. It'd be great. And if you want to get some more incredibly difficult, who's a total curtains in? Send them to me on email, <laughs> and um, we'll bring it back as an occasional feature when we've got guests on. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. Right, that is great. We'll see you next week when we'll have a preview of Australia. All right, take it easy. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.